You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Is up all and welcome to Modern Day Debate. We are a neutral, nonpartisan platform welcoming everyone from all walks of life. If you're looking for even more fantastic debates, we are all over the internet, including your favorite podcasting platforms like Spotify, TikTok, and... If you enjoy debates, it really does help out if you like, follow, or subscribe on YouTube, including tonight's debate, Trump Communism on Trial, with our debaters, Dr. Ben and Infrared, here to help us find out. And if you enjoy what either of them have to say tonight, both of our guest links are in the description below. You can also tag me in chat at Amy Newman with your burning desire question for either or both of our interlocutors and super chats. Get yours set to the top of the list. With that, I am going to hand it open over to the affirmative for their opening statement. The floor is all yours. So you can just interrupt me if I'm getting close to the uh, the limit. So I'll just begin. So MAGA communism is one of the most maligned yet misunderstood phrases on the Internet as far as political discourse is concerned. Toward the end of the last year, uh, during the end of the summer, it gained traction on Twitter and started trending, leading to various different political commentators to give their own takes on the apparent absurdity and paradox of this phase. Reaction to the phrase is a good litmus test yet of political sensibilities, in my view. Those who react suddenly to the apparent union of ideological opposites fail to grasp the subtlety of its imminent irony. We know that on a superficial level, MAGA and communism seem to be the opposite of each other. Various pseudo-intellectuals fail to pre-appreciate the provocation already inherent in the slogan, though. Why should that be the case? given that the MAGA movement is being carried entirely by the blue-collar working class, who also happen to be the historical subject of communism. Now, to make a brief comment, I am familiar by the study by Nicholas Carnes, which alleges that the MAGA movement is in fact not made up by the white working class. However, the methodological flaws in that study are very clear in as far as how they define the working class. According to that study, class is defined by income and not occupation. 
But when you actually analyze the data on the basis of occupation, you can very clearly see that blue collar jobs that would fit the definition of productive laborers, as per the Marxist definition, people who are working with their hands in manual forms of labor that are directly involved in the transformation of nature, as per Marx's definition of what labor actually is, rather than just the service industry. Although these jobs tend to be called middle class and as by average have a higher income than service jobs, that is what the working class has always actually meant as per the Marxist definition. So the blue collar working class overwhelmingly votes in favor of Trump and overwhelmingly makes up the core of the MAGA movement. And we don't actually just need to consult data to understand this because we understand it intuitively and anecdotally. If anyone has any, if you've ever gone to a Trump rally, it's just painfully obvious what kind of demographic dominates the MAGA movement, especially compared to other Republicans. Meanwhile, we have plenty of data that shows how there has been a shift and a transition among wealthy suburbanites and white-collar professional managerials, but especially the traditional Republican strongholds in the suburbs, the white suburbs, moved over to Biden and Democrats in unprecedented numbers from 2016 up to the most recent election and the midterms, right? So we are seeing a shift and a swapping of class demographics in each respective party. And that much is, I don't think there's room for dispute there. Now, other responses which attempt to compare MAGA communism to national socialism are even more sophomoric. The latter phrase was corned opportunistically to hijack a real existing socialist movement, which doesn't exist in any comparable form in the United States. Moreover, it did so for purposes of assimilating said movement to both the institutions of the German imperialist state and for purposes of waging wars of aggression. Yet the strategy of MAGA communism is both counter-hegemonic, anti-imperialist, and I would even add, in some sense at least, anti-government. We recognize in MAGA an aim to dismantle the imperialist state machine, known as big government, and a fervent rejection of foreign interventionism. This stands in contrast to the so-called democratic socialists, which by the aforementioned criterion, the significance of the state institutions in war, actually do have far more in common with the ideology of Hitler. Now, finally, the real contention of this slogan is that it implies the return to a counter-hegemonic and in some revolutionary communism, standing opposed to the ruling class institutions reigning over American society at every cultural, informational, and sociological level. This has put it at odds with the so-called progressive left. But what is so progressive about a left that can do nothing but in concrete terms defend the actually existing status quo? What progress since the defeat of Bernie Sanders in 2016 has it actually made? Anyone serious about communism in this country should know that MAGA represents the only remaining counter-hegemonic political force. As Democrats, rhinos, and neocons form one globalist center uniting together for an agenda for war. Now, finally, I'll add... My opponent here, Ben Burgess, wrote a book called Give Them an Argument, which was apparently targeted toward everyday right-wingers and right-wing rhetoric. This is severely misguided. The real people who need an argument are, in fact, the Democratic Party and Joe Biden, who people like Ben Burgess, if I'm not wrong here, were claiming can be pushed left, or at least some kind of left-wing force can gain hegemony over the Democrat Party and 
hijack it for purposes of realizing those aims. Where Where is that? Where are the results for that? Why don't your arguments work in the direction of the Democratic Party? Basis, basic Marxism tells us that the ruling class uh, will always control the government in a democracy, a so-called democracy. So how are you going to push, even when the Democrats agree with your arguments, they still will not make do on them. Why? Because they're in the pockets of the capitalistic ruling class, which is clear as day to anyone. So where's the argument for Biden? Where's the argument for the squad and AOC who not once have actually sacrificed their careerist and uh, opportunist ambitions for the purposes of building a mass socialist movement in this country? What concrete steps have been taken besides advocating for people to vote for Biden to stave off the supposed threat of fascism, which, by the way, has never been clearly defined, has actually been made? None. So I'm not sure if I uh, am close to the end of my time, but I think that's actually all I need. You still had four minutes, but that is fantastic. Thank you so much, Infrared, for your opening statement. And with that, we are now going to hand it over to Ben for your opening statement. Right. Thanks, Amy. Uh, I'm glad to know that Haas knows the title of one of my books. Uh, it's pretty clear that he has no idea what I say in there or anything else that I've ever written or said. Uh, since the arguments that he's attributed to me that you can push Biden to the left, something about fascism, are pretty hilariously far from uh, the actual positions that I've taken on those issues. Uh, I could just go to jacobin.com uh, slash author slash Ben dash Burgess and find out what I've actually said about all those subjects pretty quickly. Okay, but I want to move on from that uh, to... Um, get right to the point about why I think trying to uh, attach any sort of pro-working class or anti-imperial politics to the mega label is not just a provocation, but actually incoherent. Uh, first, on foreign policy, uh, Trump was actually a way bigger militarist than Obama, and in some ways a bigger militarist than Biden. And to put this in perspective, when I say that, I spent the Obama years constantly arguing with liberals about drones and detention, and Obama's failure to end the war in Afghanistan. And I've spent the last year being accused of being a Putin apologist because I want peace negotiations in Ukraine. But if you objectively look at all the things that changed in foreign policy from Obama to Trump, in almost every way, as bad as Obama was, Trump was even worse and more aggressive. Trump tore up the Iran deal and assassinated Soleimani, bringing the United States and Iran closer to the brink of war than we've been since the hostage crisis at the end of the Carter administration. Uh, U.S. policy has always been to help Israel and screw over the Palestinian people. But Trump was at least in at least one way, literally the worst uh, U.S. president ever on that subject. He did what no president had been willing to do since Israel's illegal annexation of Palestinian territory in East Jerusalem in 1967, uh, after the 1967 war, and moved the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, thus officially signing off on that annexation and taking that issue off the table for any future U.S.-sponsored peace talks, which was, of course, very high on the neocon wish list. Here's another thing Trump did. He doubled the rate of drone strikes in Yemen. He lifted all of Obama's policies that in any way put any kind of restrictions or oversights on the use of drones, basically just letting the generals do what they want. And again, what Obama did was bad enough. As far as I'm concerned, Obama is a war criminal who should stand trial at The Hague, but Trump was a worse war criminal. 
We don't even know how many innocent people were killed by Trump's considerably expanded version of the drone war because he got rid of the reporting requirements. Moving from the Middle East to Latin America, Trump reversed Obama's opening to Cuba and tightened up the embargo on that country. Outside of Cuba, uh, the two presidents were about equally bad on Latin America. Obama backed the coup in Honduras. Trump backed the coup in Bolivia. Bernie Sanders, by the way, who was mentioned earlier, spoke out against both of those. If you want an example of a politician who might be imperfect in various ways and not as anti-interventionist as I'd like, but who's about 10,000 times better on any of those issues about uh, foreign policy than Trump or any of the MAGA people in Congress. On Afghanistan, Trump pledged to theoretically get out if he made it to a second term. We'll never know if he would have kept that promise. Uh, Biden was the one who actually ripped off the Band-Aid while every single MAGA Republican criticized him for quote-unquote surrendering and dishonoring America by letting the Taliban take over as American troops were leaving. Oh, and you know, before we finished foreign policy, Trump was far more of an anti-Russia hawk than Obama had been. Trump has acted like a peacenik about Russia now that he's out of office. It's an easy way to court voters for 2024. But when he was in office, he was super aggressive about opposing the Nord Stream pipeline. Hell, he bombed Damascus while there were Russian soldiers stationed in the city. And let's talk about Ukraine. Uh, as hard as it is to remember, back in 2014, uh, Republicans would constantly criticize Obama for being too soft on Putin. One of the things they were always slamming him for was not being willing to send heavy weaponry to Ukraine for their war against Russian-backed separatists in the Donbass. Well, by the end of his first year, Trump did exactly that. Uh, and moving from Russia to China, the Trump was obviously a huge anti-China hawk. Uh, it was a constant feature of his rhetoric. Uh, and right now, just this last week, all the biggest MAGA Republicans in Congress have been lighted up to declaim about how China is an existential threat and how the United States needs to send more money to Taiwan, needs to cut economic links, and so on. Even the MAGA people who want less aid to Ukraine all say, if you look at their reasons for voting that way, that their reason is they think China is a bigger threat than Russia. We should focus on China. Moving to domestic policy, Trump was a way bigger union buster than either Obama or Biden. And I hate Obama and Biden. Uh, I think those are just mediocre pro-corporate Democrats, and Biden's move to stop the rail strike was despicable. And it showed that even if Democrats are the softer of the two parties of capital, they're still very much a party of capital. But the fact is that Trump was, by any possible standards, worse. He filled the National Labor Relations Board with hardcore union busters who made it way harder for ordinary working class people, You know, whether those blue collar workers Haas is talking about or white collar workers, who, by the way, are also very much part of the, uh, you know, what kind of collar you wear is not the question. The question is, do you own... Uh, the means of production, you know, do you, are you forced to sell your labor to a capitalist to make a living, uh, whether you're slinging coffee at Starbucks or working in a coal mine. Uh, but any case, any kind of working class people who want higher wages or more of a say at their workplace, if they want to organize a union, that was made far harder by the Trump administration. Uh, meanwhile, his big domestic policy accomplishment was a tax cut for rich people. And the Trump administration worked constantly to weaken workplace safety regulations that protect workers from being injured or killed on the job. When you talk about so-called mega communism, what you're doing is you're attaching allegedly communist politics to the flag of tax cuts, of deregulation, of union busting, uh, of assassinating Soleimani and using, moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem to fuck over the Palestinians. Uh, you're attaching it to the flag of escalated tensions with Russia and China, even as you lick the boots of Wall Street and corporate America. You're using the word communism, but you're attaching it to the flag of the worst, most hardcore enemies of the working class. And again, 
mainstream Democrats like Obama and Biden are absolutely enemies of the working class. But Trump and the MAGA people in Congress are worse. Last year, all of the biggest MAGA Republicans in Congress, your Marjorie Taylor Greens, you know, people like that, Matt Gates, voted against a proposal to even cap the price of insulin for diabetics. Because even capping it, not making it free, just capping it, is too much of a violation for them of the sacred right of capitalists to make as much money as possible. Now, if you want to say lots of working class people voted for Trump and we should try to appeal to them, I absolutely 100% agree with you. Now, all of, you know, I don't know what this analysis is that supposedly proves that the majority even of blue collar workers voted for, uh, for Trump. Uh, I haven't seen that. I'd be interested to hear about it. Uh, but uh, certainly if you just look at exit polls that ask about income, which yes, is an imperfect proxy for relationship to the means of production, but, you know, but it does give you a rough idea. Uh, the majority of people who have made less than $50,000 a year voted for Biden. Uh, the majority of people who made more than $100,000 a year voted for Trump. Um, and there is, you know, what Haas is talking about in terms of class dealignment, the sort of like weakening of those traditional correlations is true. But it's, it's still true, despite that, that the majority of the working class voted for Biden. Uh, honestly, Trump's most hardcore base of support was from small business owners who hate unions and love tax cuts. But sure, that still leaves probably tens of millions of working class people who voted for Trump. And even if most working class people voted for Biden, I absolutely don't think we should give up on winning lots of working class Trump voters over to the left with better material politics in the future. I don't personally use the C word communism uh, in 2023 because I'm not a LARPer. I don't get off on triggering people by using words they associate with the failures of the Soviet Union rather than with the kind of socialism we could build in the 21st century, but I absolutely am a socialist. The long-term goal of my politics is collective ownership and workers' control of the means of production. I'm also a Marxist in the sense that I agree with Marxist theory of history, with his core insights about base and superstructure and how modes of production rise and fall throughout history. And I do think that theoretical framework can tell us important things about how to win socialism in the 21st century. I expect we'll get into all that in the Q&A. I certainly hope so. But I wanted to say at least that much to give people a sense of where I stand ideologically. And even sticking to the politics of the here and now, not those long-term goals, I do think we need a class war, not a culture war. I'm not talking about throwing anybody under the bus in terms of social policy. I actually think those polling evidence shows that uh, the majority of working class Americans uh, are actually fairly socially progressive in their views on gay and trans people, abortion rights, et cetera. But I do want to strategically focus on economics and cut out the censorious nonsense, the identity politics. And I do think a left that does that could absolutely win over some percentage of the working One class minute. voters who voted for Trump. So uh, last point, right? We need to be able to do that, certainly win over some of those voters if we're going to even get the kind of political realignment that would get us Medicare for all of this country, never mind workers' control of the means of production. But I don't think you get there by, um, by lying to people about the fundamental distinction. Uh, we don't win their trust by insulting their intelligence and hoping they can't tell the difference between working class socialist politics on the one hand and pro-corporate union-busted Pentagon-serving MAGA politics on the other. What we need to do instead is to tell them the truth about both Biden and Trump, about both mainstream centrist Democrats and tax-cutting union-busted MAGA Republicans, and we need to offer them something better. Thank you so very much, Dr. Ben, and of course, Infrared, for your opening statements. Both of you, we are about to go into 40 minutes of open dialogue. I want to keep on 
sending love out there and a reminder that if you send in questions, tag me at Amy Newman or send in a super chat, we will be reading yours at the Q&A as well as subscribing and liking. It helps get that algorithm out there and our message for neutral debates even further. With that, the floor is all of yours, gentlemen. I think Haas is muted. So that was a very kind of diverse array of different jibber-jabber talking points. I'd like to go one by one and address the main ones that I've heard and that I took note of, at least, that were significant enough. So the first one was the claim that Trump was more militarist than Obama. Now, this is a non-argument in relation to the topic of debate, because the topic of debate is about MAGA communism, which is clearly centered on the MAGA movement not Trump as an individual. Well, the first Trump can't possibly be separate. No, no, Ben, you said you were going to quit this debate if I interrupted you. So I'm going to go through one by one and actually respond to your claims. Okay. In that case, in that case, Amy, could we get the two minutes? So. What's, and what, your, your, if, what if if you would like, in, uh, let's start out with a minute. What are the two minutes for what? He's, well, because if you're going to go through every single thing I just said, that sounds like a statement. So let's let's. Uh, yeah, let's I'd get like to actually respond to what you all the points you raised because they were all bullshit, and I'd like to actually be able to respond to them. Sure. So how long do you want to do it? Um, I mean, I I don't think it'll probably just take like five minutes. Okay, if you want to do five minutes, then I'll do five minutes. I can live with that, Amy. That's perfectly fine. If it feels okay. like you're not having a good flow, we can always shorten that or yeah. just go back into open conversation. So, since you both want it, infrared, five minutes, the floor So is since yours. this is actually about the MAGA movement and not Trump as an individual, we actually have to square Trump's policymaking decisions and actions while he was president in relation to the MAGA movement, the grassroots movement that actually propelled him into office in the first place. Now, first and foremost, the claim that he's a militarist just patently isn't true. Why? Because Trump didn't start any new wars. He overthrew zero governments during his term. And it's as simple as that. There was no equivalent to the color revolutions of the so-called Arab Spring, Libya, Syria, uh, under his presidency. You could say he droned more people. That's not so much Trump. It's the imperialist state machine, which no one president could successfully dismantle. It is true that Trump obviously compromised with rhinos and neocons, who, by the way, right now are at war with the MAGA movement and Trump as a person. But that has no bearing on the sentiment that is within the MAGA movement, which is overwhelmingly anti-interventionist and anti-war. No one denies that Trump staffed his government with Bolton and Pompeo in order to compromise with the Republican Party, which otherwise wouldn't have tolerated his political existence. And many in the MAGA movement even critique him for that. I am, I'm included in that, right? But that has nothing to do with the actual grassroots counter-hegemonic force that is the MAGA movement. Now, um, the question is, where did those policies come from? Did, it, did they come from the MAGA movement that actually distinguished Trump's political career in the first place? Or did they come from his the neoconservatives that are already entrenched in the imperial state machine and which rule no matter who the president actually is, as Putin pointed out once? Um, confusing Trump for the traditional Republican Party is just a, a glaring mistake here. Now, you're saying Bernie Sanders is more anti-war than Trump. Well, anyone can have good rhetoric. But we don't know that because he's never actually been president because he doesn't have the balls 
to actually have a chance to be president. So we don't know how he would act, but we can actually see the record of how he acts in the Senate and how much he compromised in no-toes to the Democrats' pro-war ambitions. And it's very clear that Bernie Sanders would probably be much more of a war hawk than Trump. And I'll tell you why. Because Trump doesn't care about so-called human rights-based pro-democracy interventionism, and Bernie Sanders does. That would automatically make him a more pro-war president than Trump. Because you mentioned Trump's anti-China rhetoric, but guess what? That's just inflammatory demagogic whatever rhetoric internal to America. When it came to foreign policy, Trump wanted nothing to do with Taiwan. He didn't really himself want anything to do with the Hong Kong protests. He said Taiwan is what miles away from China. We're not that is not we have nothing to do with that. He didn't entertain any of the bullshit about the so-called Uyghur genocide. And he had a much better relationship with Xi on a personal level than both Obama and Biden today. Now, the claim that he was a union buster neglects the fact that nobody's been able to organize a mass union movement for decades in this country. That's not that's not completely owed to the suppression of unions. It's owed to changes in the relations of production, which make, yes, unions became more established, more politically entrenched, more bureaucratic and more generally undesirable to the average person who doesn't really want to have be tied down to working at fucking McDonald's for the rest of their life. Finally, uh, I'm going to skip some stuff, but your conception of class is utterly false. You may claim that anyone who's just employed is part of the proletarian class. This is a fundamentally anti-Marxist definition. Uh, According to that definition, a CEO would be a a proletarian because CEOs are also employed and they don't necessarily own any means of production just because they're CEOs. According to this definition, which tries to rank the members of the professional managerial class and uh, the class of un productive laborers as the same as the uh, advanced segments of the proletariat, which is the productive laboring class. Marxists have always recognized that, by the way, because productive laborers represent the general interests of labor. The service industry doesn't represent those interests because the service industry doesn't actually produce any value in the Marxist sense. So you can change the definition of class and then say that Biden has more working class support. That's fine. But all you're doing is changing the name of thing. Meanwhile, in actual reality, studies, and you wanted an example of this, and I'll give you one. Yeah, let me just get it real quick. So the New York Times uh, uh, did a study that uh, in, just really quick, I have to get this. Of the 265 counties they evaluated, most dominated by blue-collar workers, areas where at least 40% of the employed adults were blue-collar workers, Biden just won 15, right? Um compared to the rest which went for trump trump by 10 points won by average in workforce in the various counties biden won they were 23 percent blue collar compared to trump's 30 some percent right in the average counties they both won now in another finally there's many studies but i'll show you one of the main ones got it right here so it's a study by the john hawkins university by stephan l morgan which is called Trump and the white working class. And the result of that study and the conclusion was that 28% of Trump's 2016 voters were Obama voters in 2012. In comparison, uh, the Obama to Trump voters were disproportionately white and working class, whereas the 2012 non-voters were disproportionately. So the conclusion was that trump has a narrow victory in 2016 because of the support of the white working class voters whom he targeted and that was the result of the study by john hawkins university so 
Yeah. Uh, so very obviously, anybody who heard what Haas just said could go back to earlier in the video and see what he said originally and see that they're not even remotely the same claim. Nothing in either of those studies that he mentions uh, provides anything approaching direct evidence that the uh, majority of blue-collar workers uh, voted for Trump. And also Haas is very much the one who's rejecting the traditional Marxist definition of class, uh, which has absolutely nothing to do uh, with whether you're a, a service worker or you work in extraction, or you work in uh, in production. Uh, it's about your relationship to the means of production. Uh, CEOs typically, uh, even though they are employees, uh, do not meet the definition that I just gave, uh, which is that you have uh, that uh, you can't. Uh, you're not in a position to support yourself through ownership of the means of production. If you're a CEO, you probably do, in fact, uh, have the economic resources, you know, from which you could, uh, you know, start your own small business uh, and support yourself that way. You know, you're not in that position where, you know, where you're forced to uh, to sell your labor to a uh, to a capitalist, obviously. Um, but even with regard, uh, so even if we're somehow excluding service workers, i.e., the vast majority of the working class, the vast majority of the poorest part of the working class in the United States. Uh, which is an extremely silly thing to do, but even if we are excluding uh, excluding those people, uh, the fact you know they like this attempt at extremely indirect evidence from you know the looking at the number of counties where you have more people as opposed to the direct evidence about exit polling now uh, does not show very much. Now I would prefer it if exit pollsters asked you, uh, do you? Uh, uh, do you own a business, uh, or uh, or are you know, or do you have managerial authority in a business, or do you neither own nor have managerial authority? As opposed to asking them about income level, I think that would be much more clarified. But until then, income level, as directly asked in those exit polls, is uh, is a pretty good indicator. Uh, as rough as it is, uh, that's uh, that's pretty decent. Now, the idea that uh, the idea that MAGA uh, is a counter-hegemonic movement is absurd. MAGA is a branding exercise uh, by Republicans. Uh, it's a, uh, you know, I mean, it, it obviously cannot in any way, shape, or form be separated from Trump as a person. In fact, we've heard this over and over and over again since Ron DeSantis has started to make a play for the MAGA Peace with Faithful that Trump is MAGA, uh, which, is, uh, which is clearly the majority, uh, the majority sentiment. Uh, and especially after, you know, after Trump had been for president for four years and his record was very far from being anti-interventionist uh, and, uh, and, very, uh, and very, very, very far from somehow clawing back neoliberal economics. In fact, he was doing the opposite of that. Uh, then, like, I think it was overwhelmingly clear that MAGA is the personal fan club of, of Donald Trump. There's absolutely nothing about it that's meaningfully counter-hegemonic in terms of building alternative centers of power. Uh, what does to, you know, as in as limited and flawed as a way as it can build alternative centers of power is uh, building labor unions. So workers have a direct form of organization at the workplace, whether blue collar or otherwise. And his NLRB um, has said, yeah, they're applying lots of other reasons that unions have declined besides uh, government union busted. That's all true. But it is also true that his NLRB was aggressively anti-union to a far greater extent than either Obama's or Biden's. People could read an article by Paul Prescott called uh, Trump claims he's pro-worker, but his labor board is trying to destroy worker organizing. It goes through decision after decision after decision by the hardcore union busters that Trump appointed to the NLRB that have made it much more difficult uh, to, uh, to organize unions. 
Uh, on foreign policy, listening to Haas saying, well, okay, sure, uh, at least he didn't, you know, he didn't start any new wars, I think saying, uh, you know, I think taking that as the only indication of militarism is pretty absurd on the face of it. I mean, like, well, hey, I mean, if, uh, uh, you know, Obama, you know, there's Libya in the first term, but he doesn't start any entirely new wars in the, uh, in the second term. Meanwhile, uh, I, I listed off a bunch of countries where uh, Trump's policies were far more aggressive uh, than uh, than Obama's uh, Obama's had been. Again, backing out of the Iran deal, assassinating Soleimani, having worse, more anti-Palestinian policies with regard to uh, with regard to Israel, uh, having uh, you know uh, reversing the opening to Cuba and tightening the embargo, expanding the drone war. Now, Ha says, "Oh, is that coming from MAGA, or is it, uh, or is it just coming from people who would be in power regardless of who's president?" Well, neither one. It's coming from Donald Trump. There is no such thing as MAGA separately from Trump. MAGA is just the name of Trump's fan club. And uh, as far as Trump goes, uh, when, when, when Haas says things that sound to me like nothing so much as the kind of thing I would hear from Obama supporters in 2010, oh, sure, you know, we still have drones, we still have indefinite detention, but no one president can be expected to reverse all of that. What, do you believe in the Green Lantern theory? The president could just do whatever they want. That's how liberals talked in 2010. It's like almost exactly the same as how Haas is talking now. Uh, the, uh, it completely ignores that what I was pointing out is it's not just that Trump didn't completely end the drone war, he greatly expanded the drone war. There were, uh, there were twice as many drone, uh, drone strikes in Yemen. By the way, speaking of Yemen, he says, we don't know if uh, Bernie was a more anti-interventionist than Trump. Well, Bernie Sanders spearheaded a bipartisan resolution to end U.S. involvement in Saudi Arabia's genocidal war in Yemen. Trump vetoed it. So yes, I'd say Time. we do know. Trump backed the coup in Bolivia. Trump, you know, Sanders criticized that, etc. So Trump, also last point, Trump uh, severely rolled back the uh, restrictions on the use of drones that came from Trump. That wasn't just whoever was in office. Uh, can I go now? Okay. So regarding your understanding of class, I know you're not a Marxist, so you just got this from Twitter or you got this from whatever your DSA social circles. No class is not just defined by whether you own the means of production or not. Class is also defined by the means of your subsistence. How do you actually earn a living in relation to the accumulation of capital and the production of value? The working class actually produces value and earns its living because of the actual um, value of its labor. It actually can reproduce the value of its labor plus producing a surplus value. Most service workers don't actually fulfill that definition. But the whole significance of the service worker thing and the productive labor things, the reason productive laborers are more the core of the working class, I'm not saying service workers are outside the working class, they just don't fit the strict definition of the Marxist proletariat. And one of the reasons for that is because institutionally speaking, they're more a class of people who are trained to perform. They have to perform certain things. They have to be instilled with specific forms of consciousness rather than actually produce tangible, real things having some direct relationship to the transformation of nature, which is how Marx defines labor. Now, your, your added thing about CEOs, oh, CEOs don't count because they have enough extra capital to start a small business. Well, then it would just be defined by income. There's plenty of professional managerials who, if I'm not mistaken, you would define as members of the working class, coders and other people, graduate students, who probably do have some extra disposable income that would allow them to pursue other endeavors. That is not actually, according to your definition, how class is defined. It's not defined by income, but the relationship to the means of production. Having the ability to start a business 
doesn't necessarily mean you are doing that. So the absurdity of your definition of what class is, is very clear. Now, MAGA is not a Trump fan club. It's the only counter-hegemonic political force for the sole reason that it is not loyal to the ruling institutions of society. You could say it's loyal to some image, some idea of Trump, which it is, right? But it's not loyal to the mainstream media. It's not royal, loyal to the ruling corporations of society. It's not loyal to Pfizer. It's not loyal to the pharmaceutical industry. It's not loyal. No, it's not loyal to the military industrial complex. It's also not loyal to the sacred institution of so-called democracy either, which is really the most important. We can't really get into the details on YouTube, obviously, about that whole one. But that's why MAGA is counter-hegemonic, because it is searching for an America that is not being officially represented by the Gramskian hegemony within our society, the bourgeois hegemony. That is why MAGA is a counter-hegemonic force. You can point out how Trump was beholden to Sheldon Adelson and Pompeo and Bolton and the neoconservatives during his presidency, things I haven't denied. But to say that all of this was coming from Trump blatantly, you know, denies the obvious reality, which was obvious even to Trump, by the way, later on, that, yes, he had to compromise with these people and all this bullshit was coming from them. Bolton, Pompeo, the neoconservatives, and even before then, yes, Sheldon Adelson, when it came to the whole Israel policy. Now, it's true that Trump gave the neoconservatives more free and reign than they probably would have had under Obama, but that doesn't change. That's just a failure of Trump's own character and individual person. It has nothing to do with the MAGA movement that propelled him into power in the first place, and which is right now the target of all of those three figures that I just melted. Adelson is going to DeSantis. Uh, Pompeo wants to run for president himself. John Bolton is an avowed enemy of Trump right now. So mentioning all this shit is completely pointless. Now, the th the thing is, is that you mentioned something about unions really quick. Unions have been politicized for a long time and bureaucratized, and they're in bed with the Democrats. It's not surprising that Republicans are against them today. It doesn't mean, by the way, that unions today are even pro-worker. It's very possible that unions are unpopular among workers today, among many workers today, actually. They're bureaucratic and they're, yes, corrupt in many ways as well. The ones that are in bed with the Democrats, which almost all of them are. They're a political institution. Now, finally, you said something about how, oh, I sound like an Obama supporter right now. No, the crucial difference is that Obama supporters were loyal to the bourgeois hegemony of society. The MAGA movement is not. It's almost that simple, right? I'm not apologizing for Trump. Oh, a president can only do so much. I don't care about Trump. Trump is an individual. He's just a symbol as far as MAGA is concerned. Now, you can say MAGA blindly agrees with everything Trump says, but even if you did, it wouldn't be true because Trump on the V issue, which you can't even mention on YouTube without triggering the uh, censors, but on the whole, um, let's say, medical issue that you can't talk about on YouTube, Trump supporters went against Trump himself and actually booed him in person. So no, they don't just blindly listen to everything Trump says, but they do trust him in a way they don't trust the ruling hegemony of society. Trump is a chaotic personality, and I think it's better for these people to trust this chaotic TV personality guy who can probably be moved in any possible direction, really, than the overwhelming force of bourgeois hegemony, the civil society, NGO institutions, the mainstream media, the corporations, the um, think tanks, the uh, military industrial complex, the politicians, yada, 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 Wall Street, Maine, uh, Wall Street and Washington and so on. I mean, 
you have all of that on one hand, and then you have this funny, chaotic guy, Trump, on the other. I think communists have a better chance working among people who trust the funny, chaotic guy more than they do the ruling bourgeois hegemony of society as a whole. Okay. Uh, I gave you the definition of class a couple times. It sounds like you weren't listening very closely, so I'm going to try one more time. So the definition of class that Karl Marx gives, if you read this book, Capital, uh, is uh, not at all what you said. It is, again, every time he talks about class, he's talking about relationship to the, uh, to the means of production. Uh, that the, uh, so the usual way that, some, that you know, Marx would put it is that you know, workers own nothing, um, you know, that they, uh, they, own, uh, they own nothing but their own, their own labor. They don't, you know, they don't own any means of production, so therefore they have no choice. Uh, but to uh, to work for people who do own the means of production. Now, you can criticize this definition on various grounds. I think it can be tightened up. Uh, I think that the uh, that um, you know some of your examples I think point to something that's actually real, which is that you should also talk about managerial authority uh, as a uh, and not uh, and not just uh, and not just ownership strictly speaking, which you know, I think again would you know is another problem with your attempt to sort of. Uh, say under the Marxist definition, CEOs would count. Uh, so we need to switch to your non-Marxist definition. That's about you know whether you're blue collar or not. Uh, but uh, that's one criticism. Another criticism is that um, the uh, some workers do to a certain extent own some means of production. So G. A. Cohen in his excellent book Karl Marx's Theory of History uh, gives an example about uh, the um, uh, gives uh, gives an example about um, the uh, you know like a garment worker who might you know actually have to own their own sewing machine you know to and bring it into work and maintain it themselves uh, and suggest like a sort of friendly amendment to to the way Marx talks about it which is well where you know workers don't own any of their own means of production and are thus you know have no realistic choice except for to go to work which for the people who do uh, suggests that uh, that a modification of that is that workers can't make a living from their ownership of the means of production, which I think is a fair, um, is a fair modification. Um, now, I think, the, I think the part about unions is incredibly revealing uh, that, you know, Haas went from first saying that, well, um, you know, oh, it can't be right, like I'm saying, uh, that Trump uh, was far more anti-union, that, you know, because that's, this is just a distraction, because really there are these bigger structural reasons that the labor movement has declined. Now, I don't deny there are bigger structural reasons, but it is undeniable if you look at the NLRB presidents under Obama and then under Trump, that Trump was far more anti-union. And then Haas says, well, unions are in bed with the Democratic Party, so fuck them, I guess. Uh, they, we, don't care if, uh, we don't care if Trump and the rest of the mega politicians are ferociously anti-union, are actually the worst enemies of the organized working class. Uh, I think that refutes itself. I don't need to, uh, I don't particularly need to add anything to it, except to say, he says he wouldn't be surprised if unions were unpopular. Actually, a majority of Americans say they would join a union if they could. Uh, they, um, uh, and whereas a tiny percentage of private sector workers are unionized, that is in fact about the ferocious climate of union busting, the fact that labor laws are so tilted against organizing unions uh, in, uh, in the United States. Uh, the uh, the ways like all sorts of things that have happened to increase the bargaining power of capital and decrease the bargaining power of labor. Final point: uh, we've heard these repeated claims that there's something counter hegemonic about MAGA as a movement. Of course, it's not a movement; it's a branded exercise for Trump supporters. Uh, but um, 
But we haven't heard anything counter-hegemonic they're actually doing. If you organize a union in your workplace, you're actually doing something that's meaningfully counter-hegemonic. You're, you're setting up an alternative center of power to the power of the boss. There's nothing counter-hegemonic about supporting a politician or using a set of rhetoric or uh, spouting some slogans. We're told in particular that it's counter-hegemonic because they, they, uh, they're going against, uh, they have no loyalty to uh, Pfizer, uh, the military industrial complex or mainstream media. Well, by and large, the most MAGA line politicians are the biggest anti-China hawks. Uh, none of those people criticized uh, Trump for uh, doing things like assassinating Soleimani. Uh, so this this claim about the military industrial complex is pretty dubious as far as you know, as far as Pfizer goes. I think just you know, saying vaccines don't work. That's not a that's not anti big pharma. The anti big pharma thing would be saying we should nationalize them or at least not let them profit off of uh, of making these. That that their product should instead be free to everybody. Finally, it's particularly ludicrous to say that MAGA in particular is counter hegemonic because uh, mainstream media is a big rhetorical whipping boy for them, because by that same standard, you know, you can go back to the 1980s, the moral majority would be counter-hegemonic. You could go back to uh, the Nixon administration, and, you know, Spiro Agnew, who's constantly denouncing, you know, the liberal media is counter-hegemonic. Sure, yes, this has been a staple of conservative rhetoric for several decades, is the opposition to mainstream media. But again, what do they actually want to do to change media ownership structures, for example, in a better direction? Absolutely nothing, because not only is there no actual movement here, not only is there no alternative center of power to institutions that Haas mentions, there isn't even a political program that uh, that would, I mean, uh, do any of these things. What is it that these guys want? What is it that they would support that would actually uh, that would actually meaningfully undermine any of these centers of power? All right, I'm good. Okay, so I'm going to begin this with a quote from Frederick Engels. To science, definitions are worthless because always inadequate. The only real definition is the development of the thing itself, but this is no longer a definition. So let's take the definition of the thing itself, which is the working class. In Marx's time, the people who only had their labor to sell were overwhelmingly the people who were actually producing the surplus value that was responsible for the process of capital accumulation to begin in the first place. They were actually selling their labor as per the Marxist definition. Now, this isn't just because they didn't own or get their money from means of production. It was because they were actually selling their labor. But plenty of industries within the service industry are not selling their labor at all. They're selling performances and they're selling the immediate uh, performances of use values, which can't be transformed in any kind of uh, value, what's, can't crystallize any value whatsoever. Therefore, it is dubious to say they're selling their labor in the first place. Just because they're wage laborers doesn't mean they're selling their labor. It means they're getting paid to do shit that is oftentimes demeaning and inhuman. And I'm completely against the service industry, but it doesn't mean you have to, you're going to uphold them as the quintessential uh, proletariat of the times. The proletariat is still the blue-collar working class that actually produces things and tangibly changes nature, the outside world, in some kind of concrete, tangible way. This is a base... And if you read Marx's Capital, instead of J.A. Cohen, who rejects Fred uh, Hegel, without whom capital is completely meaningless, you would know that significance of labor. Why labor in the proletariat is even significant in the first place, even as far as Marxism is concerned. It just doesn't just come from the fact that they don't own anything and they have nothing to lose. There's a great deal more than that. 
Now, finally, with this whole jibber jabber about the unions, I said establishment unions. As far as the ability to create new unions, it's pretty rare. Recently, it happened with the Amazon labor union. But that's precisely because Chris Smalls actually worked with MAGA people and worked with people who were uh, not Democrats. And he succeeded. And it had nothing to do with who the fucking president was. It has everything to do with the strategy he pursued. In the, in the creation of the Amazon labor union, which I'm not against, by the way. But yeah, Trump made it harder for the establishment Democrat-run unions to expand. Big fucking deal. I don't give a shit. I don't care about these establishment unions. Uh, let them all be destroyed. I don't give a fuck. They're Demo- they're run by the Democrats, and I have I don't know why I, as a communist, should have any uh, loyalty to Democrat bureaucracies. Now, obviously, I guess most Americans would say they like unions and they prefer to join unions because they pay better. But 40 percent of actual union members, only 40 percent of actual union members say that their membership is, quote, extremely important. So I'm guessing there's probably something lost in translation there. Regardless, it wouldn't surprise me that Americans want the better pay that unions provide. But there's also more strings attached to that, which among actual union members themselves lead to some kind of contention and ambiguity. But regardless, how can those unions concretely expand without the Democratic Party? Because they're in bed with the Democrats right now. That's the question. I'm not willing to sacrifice building a counter-hegemonic political force for the sake of expanding the Democrat-run unions. Now, a simple counter-hegemonic fact of the Trump movement, which you're neglecting to point out, it's like, if you want to talk about workers, what about Biden's rail deal? It's like, Probably the worst rollback on the labor rights of uh, the working class in this country, maybe since Reagan, right, where he made it illegal for federal rail workers to go on strike, destroying their collective bargaining rights. Who are the people in Congress and in the Senate who rejected this bill? It was MAGA people overwhelmingly. And even Republicans beyond that, it was overwhelmingly the progressive Democrats who voted for it. And it was the cons- the MAGA people who were at the fore of rejecting it. So that's an, a simple example of the counter-hegemonic force of the MAGA movement. But even beyond the congressional representatives and all those kinds of people, this sentiment among the MAGA movement about sending arms to Ukraine and the escalation of the war into World War III, I mean, overwhelmingly critical of the U.S. administration's escalation of that war in comparison to Democrats and Biden. Um, they criticized Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. Uh, you mentioned, oh, well, Nixon, you're saying Nixon was also counter-hegemonic or his movement was? Yeah, Nixon's voter base, it was counter-hegemonic. I mean, that's why Watergate happened. Read your fucking history. Yes, there were counter-hegemonic elements uh, in Nixon's supporters. Yes, that's an actual fact of history. And you're laughing right now because you haven't read, you're clearly illiterate on the subject matter, and you, you're one of those people who think Watergate happened because of Nixon's corruption and not be, because of the CIA. Dude, keep laughing. You're going to look in the mirror and see a dumb fuck when you actually read your fucking uh, history. Now, okay. formulating a political program is actually the task of communist partisans. The absence of one right now doesn't mean it's impossible. But when you actually formulate that political program, who is going to be more receptive to it? People who are unquestionably loyal to whatever the fucking mainstream media and the institutions of society like academia say, or people might who might lend you their ear to hear something new that Damn. society and the establishment has been telling them not to believe, such as that communism is in fact not completely evil and Stalin and Hitler were not in fact the same. Okay. 
Um, yes, I could not help myself. I will say uh, that I did say out of the debate if uh, the personal insult started, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, they have a, um, but yes, I could not help myself but laughing at the claim that, uh, that, you know, Watergate didn't really happen, that it was some sort of CIA plot against, uh, I guess, this guy who the CIA hated for some reason, even though Nixon was the one who was um, doing things like bombing Cambodia, like um, uh, like uh, helping to organize the coup against Salvador Allende in, uh, in, in Chile. Uh, that is a very odd thing for somebody who calls himself a communist uh, to, uh, to say. But... Um, in any case, going back to uh, definition of class, you note that the only place I talked about G.A. Cohen uh, was to talk about a criticism uh, that I thought was a fair criticism because I'd been talking about the way Marx talks about uh, class in Capital, uh, not, about, uh, not about Cohen. Uh, I brought up Cohen because uh, of a point that he makes in Karl Marx's Theory of History about, uh, the, um, about like a sort of possible criticism or friendly amendment to that. But if you just read Capital itself, uh, every time he talks about class, uh, it's um, it's always and overwhelmingly in terms of relationship to the means of production. Of course, obviously, that Engels quote about definitions cuts both ways, because if you say, I don't like definitions, then that doesn't favor one definition or another. But if you're just looking at the way that Marx, throughout the entirety of the 33 chapters of Capital, uh, talks about class, it's always about who owns the conditions of labor and who is forced to uh, to labor uh, to uh, to labor for them. The reason that the working class is an important category in uh, in Marxism is that it is a category of the population. Obviously, that you have uh, you know you have laboring classes in all sorts of societies, right? You know, but uh, this is one that has the capacity and the interest uh, to take over to expropriate the means of production uh, from uh, from capitalists and uh, create a society that would not be divided into classes, but would also not just be distributing crumbs given the way that the forces of production have been developed under capitalism, creating the possibility for that universally shared abundance in, um, in the future. Uh, on, uh, on unions, uh, I also think it is pretty funny that less than an hour has gone by since my opening statement, but Haas has already forgotten what I said because he said, oh, what about the rail, uh, the rail deal, uh, which I actually brought up and talked about in my opening statement. Um, and yes, as I said, in, uh, in my opening statement, that certainly proves that even if the Democrats are the softer party of capital, they're still very much a, uh, a party of capital. But I'd like to point out two things about the rail deal and about the, uh, the partisan contrast as it shows there. One, uh, Haas is, is trying to have it both ways on a pretty epic scale. He says, uh, he says that on the one hand, uh, he says, oh, fuck, the establishment unions. He only cares about independent unions. So if the establishment unions are all destroyed, then that's fine with him. But then he brings up Biden crushing some established unions. Those are not plucky new independent unions. You know, these established rail workers unions as evidence for, correctly, the fact that uh, Biden is the enemy of the working class, which I agree. I said in my opening statement, uh, Trump is a worse one. And of course, MAGA is absolutely nothing except for Trump's fan club. But uh, Biden is certainly an enemy of the working class. The real deal certainly shows it because it does not. We should not say, fuck the unions. The unions of various sorts are the only counter-hegemonic force in society. And on the subject of, um, uh, you know, certainly the only one that has 
has the kind of numbers and the kind of capacity and the kind of power that they do. Not the only one, but the only one that has all of those things. Finally, this idea that Trump filling the NLRB with hardcore union busters who make rulings, uh, who made a whole series of rulings overturning Obama presidents and making it harder to organize unions. Well, that's only making it harder for the bad established Democrat aligned unions uh, is ludicrous on its face. Of course, that makes it equally hard. In fact, harder for independent unions that don't have the same resources to stand up to that union busted. Uh, and final point, I think it would be amazing to get if we had Chris Smalls here and yes, he absolutely was willing to work with people who uh, voted for Trump, which, as I said in my opening statement, I advocate too, uh, but, uh, and, and he was right to do so. He himself, of course, would never call himself a mega guy. He's very open about his disagreement with that. And if we had Chris Smalls here and said, hey, hey, Chris, do you think it matters who's sitting on the NLRB? Do you think that these NLRB rulings... Uh, have make a difference to how how easy or hard it is for an independent union like the Amazon Labor Union to organize warehouses. I think we know what he would say. In fact, uh, the NLRB has repeatedly intervened on the side of the Amazon Labor Union, which would certainly not have happened if Trump was still in office. Thank you, Dr. Ben. I am going to say that each of you are going to get one more round, and then you're going to get closing statements. So technically, you get two more five minutes before we go into Q&A. But Infrared, back to you. And then Dr. Ben, you get one more reply. So I just wanted to speak to the baffling ignorance of uh, so-called Dr. Burgess here that he claims that it's extremely odd to think that the CIA was behind Watergate. Well, it's such a widespread, commonly held view that even the CIA itself, on its own fucking website, felt it necessary to address the claim themselves. So no, it's not an odd view at all. It's a pretty conventional view. You don't have to be an extreme conspiracy theorist to know that the CIA was, in fact, at odds with Nixon uh, and the Nixon administration. Now, regarding your claims of what Marx says in Capital about how he strictly defines class, I'm going to actually demand a citation there. Because I know for a fact, as someone who has read all three volumes of Capital, that Marx never actually got around to strictly defining class. Ironically, in the last volume, the third volume of Capital, in the very last chapter, he was planning on it and he wrote maybe a few sentences on it. And that's literally where the whole project cut off. So I know you're talking out of your ass when you're trying to say that Marx was defining the meaning of class uh, in capital strictly in that way. No, he wasn't. He was using class in a way that was not uh, um, that was not uh, sorry. That was not precluded by any specific strict definition, but class, as far as Marx and Engels recognized it, and in addition to being about relations to production isn't just about what you own. It's also what your relation to the actual material objective process of production is. And Marx and Capital makes it very clear what productive labor is, especially when in the second volume of Capital, he makes it very clear that the unproductive laborer of clerks and these other people who belong to a class of parasites, literal parasites in function, don't actually belong the proletariat in the strict sense. Now, it's the general quality of the labor of the proletariat that makes them uniquely revolutionary, according to Marx, not simply because they're oppressed and they're marginalized or whatever. 
Uh, it's specifically about the generality of their labor in an era of general commodity production, which means they stand for a class of labor in general. Marx's definition of labor is very clear in his early manuscripts and in his early writing about a transformation of nature, not just a performance of services. Um, now, the significant thing about Biden's action wasn't that it targeted establishment unions, but that he made it unilaterally illegal for railway workers to strike, regardless of the type of union. That actually makes it worse than what Trump was doing, which overwhelmingly was targeting the establishment unions. Uh, so I don't even know why you would even bring that up. Biden made it unilaterally, with re without regard for what kind of union it is, illegal for railway workers to strike, not just targeting establishment unions, but the rights of workers in general, including their collective bargaining rights. And there is no evidence that established unions are counter-hegemonic in any way through the debt. I mean, it's not even true in the post-war period. Uh, of the history of the United States. What evidence is there is that these establishment unions form some kind of opposition to this imperialist state machine? They have long been assailed by the imperialist state machine, as many astute Marxist observers have been observing for a very long time now. The reason it's hard to form new unions right now is overwhelmingly because of the failed strategies of past union organizers. You could say that there it does make a difference who's sitting on the uh, NLRB or whatever. But guess what? According to I'm a communist, I'm a basic Marxist, and I'm someone who stands against the status quo in general. Politics takes precedent. You don't sacrifice your ability to fight the establishment and no toe to the fucking Democrats just because they're going to make it marginally easier for you to do any kind of specific tactic. Because the overall strategy is about smashing the imperialist state machine and destroying the deep state. It's not actually about um, uh, just doing unions. So the strategy takes precedent over the various specific tactics employed to realize it. Okay, uh, I find it pretty significant that Haas continually responds to things that I don't say and ignores the things that I do say. I, I did not say that it was just about workers being oppressed or marginalized. That has absolutely nothing to do with what I said. He just made that up out of nothing. That has no relationship to anything I said. Anybody who doesn't believe me should be invited to pause and go back a few minutes to the last time I talked and compare what he said to what I actually said. What I said is that uh, is that the working class has an interest in um, uh, in expropriating uh, capital and creating this other kind of society that uh, that is um, that is uh, that uh, would provide this uh, universally shared abundance uh, because of the way the forces of production have been developed by capitalism. So if you look, for example, at the end of the next to last chapter of Capital, chapter 2932, uh, and look at the last couple of paragraphs there where he talks about expropriating the means of production from uh, capitalists, and then look at the, uh, the footnote uh, that he provides there. He talks about uh, how all of these other classes, right, like the class that actually makes up the hardcore of MAGA, uh, the, the petty proprietors are ultimately reactionary because they want to turn back the clock from, you know, sure, big capital taking away the stuff that they have uh, to, uh, to get back that stuff. Uh, and restore uh, this petty private property and the uh, ownership of the means of production, whereas only the working class has an interest in going forward to this new and different kind of society based on collective ownership. Uh, he also says, oh, Ben is saying that there's a strict definition of class and capital. Nope, I didn't say that. Uh, uh, what I said is 
that uh, the Ingalls point about uh, not liking strict definitions goes against both the definition that I was using and the definition that you were using. But if you look at the way that Marx talks about class and capital over and over and over, this is very simple. I would invite people to just like, if you've got like the Kindle edition of capital, uh, just search for phrases like conditions of labor in there. And you will find over and over and over that Marx uh, will talk about, you know, things like the conditions of labor being concentrated in this minority of the population, everybody else having nothing to sell but their labor. Whenever, in every single point in that book where, uh, where Marx talks about, um, he contrasts capitalism with feudalism, uh, it's always about uh, the, uh, the ways uh, that the... Um, it's always about the relationship to the means of production uh, that, you know, so you look, for example, at chapter 23 of Capital, where he talks, uh, he's got this nice little thought experiment about imagining a single uh, lord and a single peasant uh, and, you know, and the, the relationship between them. And then he says, imagine if uh, the lord announced one day, hey, good news, feudalism is over, you're free, bad news, I own this land. And now you have to labor for me for such and such many hours a day. And the peasant ends up having to labor for the Lord just as many hours as he did before. And it's technically voluntary. But, you know, all of that contrast is about ownership of the means of production. Uh, I, I also think if you're looking at volumes two and three, got to keep in mind, uh, these uh, these are nothing like final, you know, works like uh, like volume one is. These are things that were left very unfinished and in many cases very unorganized for Ingalls to do the best that he could with them. Now, moving on from uh, Capital, which I'm happy to talk about. It's one of my all-time favorite books uh, ever written. But uh, moving on from that to contemporary American politics, uh, Haas's grasp of what happened with the rail vote is extremely flawed in two ways. Uh, first, and maybe most importantly, he says, oh, Biden made it illegal for rail workers to strike regardless of what kind of unions they have. No. What happened was that Biden used uh, the uh, the Railway Act, which is this old hideously reactionary pre-New Deal act that was already on the books, uh, to impose a contract on unions, which what kind of unions? Independent unions? Hypothetical unions in the future? No, this is not like a taking away any rail workers ever going on strike ever again uh, decision that's somehow being made. This is applying uh, this Railway Labor Act that already existed uh, to impose a deal on a bunch of those establishment unions that Haas says he doesn't care if they're all destroyed, right? We can take away all the power that the American working class currently has, and it's all fine. It's all worth it because uh, the Trump movement is counter-hegemonic in the sense that uh, even though there's no source of power that's independent of capital in the Trump movement, even though there isn't even a political platform that would somehow hurt capital, but just in the sense that rhetorically uh, the MAGA movement you know, says things about how they don't like the mainstream media. And, you know, they might say rhetorically anti-war things sometimes. That's how cheap a date he is for what counts as counter-hegemonic. Uh, for that, he's willing to destroy the entire power of the organized working class in the United States. That is not a deal anybody should take. Thank you, Dr. Ben. And with that, it is going to conclude the open dialogue of the debate. I want to Thank our interlocutors for stepping into the ring as they're about to make their closing statements. And then we are going into the Q&A. So please keep on sending me those chats and super chats. I'm sending love out there as well to all of those mods keeping everything so amazing. And with that, Infrared, I am handing it back over to you for your five-minute closing statement. The floor is all yours. 
So I okay, I only have five minutes. Uh he said the okay, you're saying the working class is uh, uniquely revolutionary because it's interested in expropriating capital. You didn't elaborate why, though. You didn't elaborate the actual reason for that. I actually did. I actually said because the general quality of their labor allows them to uh, establish a relationship to production that grounds production based on its material premises, which is what labor is, whereas capital doesn't ground production based strictly on the use value, the necessity of its material premises, but on abstractions, actually, the form of value, which is an abstraction that isn't a, a specific human use value. It's a quality of abstraction and alienation and this universal form that doesn't care about any particular content. So that's why they're revolutionary. And yes, labor is central to that. Now, you said something about capital... I don't which volume do you cite? Volume one, chapter twenty-nine. I looked at chapter twenty-nine of volume one. Um twenty-eight? Twenty-three. Okay, twenty-three. Twenty-three of volume one. Well, I'm you haven't actually cited and deployed into an argument why that helps your argument that Marx is strictly defining class on the basis not, of yeah. I didn't say that. Okay. Well, you, I didn't you say interrupted that, me. And if I were if you were if I were you, right? I would have rage quit like a little bitch because of that, but I'm not going to do that. But that's what you promised to do, which is interesting. But it's interesting that you're calling the blue collar working class that overwhelmingly makes up the core of the MAGA movement petty proprietors when you just cited J.A. Cohen, who clarified that people who own instruments of production that augment their labor doesn't make them not part of the working class. So that's an interesting contradiction there. You said I have a flawed understanding of the Railway Act just because Biden exclusively imposed it on establishment unions. But he set the precedent for the ability to use that act to be imposed on any, uh, yes, any kind of union, as long as it conflicts with some kind of national security interest. That's the fucking point. Bringing up that pedantic point about how he just used it against the establishment unions. Yeah, because it's the establishment unions who at that time were trying to, um, were trying to go on strike. If they weren't establishment unions, you don't think he would have done the same fucking thing? He probably would have done it quicker because he has no fucking reason to want to work with unions that aren't politically loyal to him. Now, you're saying that, oh, counter-hegemonic is just about not having the right kind of rhetoric. Uh, sorry, counter-hegemonic is just about having a specific kind of rhetoric. That's not what I'm saying, but... Whether you have unquestioning loyalty to the establishment, whether you can see there's a clear contradiction that, yes, the hege bourgeois hegemony of society is not the site of the kingdom of truth. You can't blindly trust the experts. That matters when you are trying to convince people to get on board with new ideas. Yes, that does fucking matter. It matters that people are able to question power, be suspicious of power and act and vote in ways that contradict what the bourgeois hegemony is telling them to. So you can say that's just rhetoric, but why did why did MAGA people get labeled as domestic terrorists as of recent? Why is the government saying that something that happened a few years ago, you can't really talk about on YouTube, is like worse than 9-11? Because they acted in a way that is clearly not aligned with the bourgeois hegemony. So it's not just rhetoric, it's also action even your fellow Democrats recognize that when they say that Trump is the most dangerous fascist threat to democracy there is. I like that he's a threat to the so-called democracy. I think communism is also a threat to this sham of a democracy. And I want to unite with MAGA 
in crushing this veneer of a neoliberal democracy and establishing a state by, for, and of the American people. Thank you so very much, Everett, for your closing statement. And with that, we're going to hand it off to Dr. Ben for your closing statement. Right, right. Huh. Uh, yes, I, uh, I, I'm sorry. You did actually ask me a question about 10 seconds before that. So, uh, so, so I did uh, point out that you're once again saying something that not only I didn't say, but that I'd actually just said in my previous statement. I'd reminded you that I didn't say, but you can't seem to stop yourself from lying about it, which is interesting. Um, so uh, obviously I'm not making a claim about strict definitions. Uh, I, you know, I, I said earlier, right, that, you know, that I'm talking about the, uh, the way, you know, you can talk about an implicit definition, right, you know, but, um, you know, both of us at various points have made claims about how Marx defined things, but then you pointed out this quote from Ingalls about not liking, you know, definitions, and I said, okay, fair enough, um, but let's look not at definitions, but at the way overwhelmingly every time that Marx talks about class and capital, how does he talk about it? Now, the argument from, uh, from chapter 23 was just a particularly vivid example because it was about how somebody in this sort of uh, hypothetical case where it happened in a very quick and simple way would switch from being a member of the peasantry to a member of the working class, where the only difference is about what their relationship is to uh, the means of production. Now, is that compatible with the way that you're understanding this? Yeah, fair enough, right? But it's uh, it's also, you know, but I think it is suggestive that over and over and over and over again throughout that book, whenever Marx is talking about uh, class, uh, the stuff he always brings up is about relationship uh, to uh, to the means of production. You also seem to have forgotten what the context was of my point about the uh, the rail strike. Uh, which is not that I think that, you know, Biden wouldn't have done the same thing with independent unions. That wasn't my point at all. And you, I think you know that. I think you must know that. I have a hard time imagining you could possibly not know that. My point was that there's this giant contradiction at the heart of your views. On the one hand, you said that, fuck the establishment unions, you're fine if all the establishment unions are totally crushed by right-wing um, uh, union busting appointees to the NLRB, making you know, making a series of decisions that make it very difficult to form unions of any kind. Uh, but then, on the one hand, on the other hand, you're getting mad at Biden for crushing establishment unions. Now, I think you've got it right the second time and wrong the first time. You're right to be mad at Biden for imposing uh, the deal on establishment unions. You're wrong to say fuck the establishment unions, I don't care if they all go away, because what you're doing is you're wishing away what tiny little bit of power the American working class has in favor of nothing, in favor of, well, there's some rhetoric here that I like, that if you look at just the right parts, ignore all the, uh, ignore all the uh, extremely intense anti-communist rhetoric in the MAGA movement, et cetera, and look at just the parts you like, that there's some rhetoric that sounds like something you can work with. And so you're just going to focus on that, even if supporting it, even if voting that way. You said acting and voting that way means that you're destroying what little power the working class has in this neoliberal uh, hellscape. Uh, I also, of course, did not say uh, that uh, the blue-collar workers who support Trump are petty proprietors. Uh, you're making that up. What I said 
was that Trump's hardest core base of support was not workers at all, but petty proprietors, small business owners. That that's Trump's hardest core base of support, uh, which I think you know is uh, is true. It is certainly contradicted by nothing you said. Of course, the majority of people who voted for Trump are members of the working class. Class, just like the majority of people who voted for Biden are members of the working class, but just like you can make sense of saying that the uh, that, for example, uh, that there's a particular sort of importance to certain kinds of PMC layers and the to the Democratic Party, I think you can make sense of saying that petty proprietors, not workers who might own their own sewing machine, uh, but uh, but people who own their own businesses, are the hardest core of the support of the MAGA movement. Final point. I don't know how long I have left, but I'm going to try to make this very quickly. A little bit over uh, a minute, or about a minute now. About a minute? Okay. Final point. Just take a long step back from this. Haas admits that the Trump administration's foreign policy uh, was in many important ways more interventionist, more in line with what the neocons wanted than the Obama foreign policy. I gave a bunch of examples of that earlier. Uh, yet... Uh, somehow we're supposed to we're supposed to believe that we're striking a blow against the empire by voting to for Trump and other MAGA Republicans. Uh, Trump is himself a billionaire. His uh, his movement and his uh, his rise to power was uh, was uh, funded by other right wing billionaires uh, like Peter Thiel. But somehow uh, we're supposed to believe that uh, that a billionaire uh, who uh, who a billionaire who did everything in his power to uh, to crush unions, to deregulate, to uh, to get rid of workplace safety regulations, to cut taxes for rich people, that the movement behind that guy, because they don't like the mainstream media, they don't like Pfizer, uh, that that movement uh, is so promisingly counter-hegemonic that for the sake of empowering it, you should be willing to destroy every single establishment union in the United States. That's insane, and it certainly has all of nothing to do with anything that anyone could call a form of socialism or communism. Thank you so very much, Dr. Ben. In fact, thank you, Infrared and Dr. Ben, for that lively back and forth because we're about to go into the Q&A section. I want to keep on reminding everyone that both of our interlocutors' links are in the description below. So if you're like, hmm... I like what I just heard. You can head right down there and get more. Plus, if you like what you're hearing today and want even more fantastic debates, then it really helps us out if you hit that like button, subscribe, and share with the person that you're in a debate with yourself. With that, we are heading in to the Q&A. Keep on tagging me with your questions and super chats at Amy Newman. But $5 from Thunderstorm, fascism means trade union in Italian. So if, if I will, I'll respond to that question by pointing out that uh, the whole point is that the precedent Biden set won't just affect establishment unions. It's about the precedent, not just about the specific unions he um, that were affected by. And plus, the it proves that they were never a viable medium to represent independent working class power in the first place. Why didn't they go on strike anyway? Because they have no independent power at all. Even if it was illegal, they had no independent power. That's why they didn't go on strike in the first place. 
So you're, so you claiming this is some kind of glaring contradictions when I say I don't give a shit about establishment unions? Of course I don't. Look at how weak they were in the face of Biden's fascistic acts against them. So yeah, let the let the fucking establishment. Yeah, I don't give a shit. I do care about when the government starts stepping in and establishes a precedent to uh, destroy the collective bargaining rights of the working class. I do care about that, but which can be used not only against establishment unions but against the working class in general. That's a very dangerous precedent. So that's stupid. And saying all oh, the petty bourgeoisie, Lenin talked about an alliance with the democratic petty bourgeoisie, an element among the peasantry which was necessary for a united front against the bourgeois hegemony. So you saying the petty bourgeoisie is inherently reactionary contradicts basic communist history. You said stuff about the relations of production, which was jibber jabber, because we're talking about the relationship to the actual process of production, not just to the title of whether you're employed or not, but what actual relation you have to production. Where does your revenue actually come from? Where does your income actually come from in relation to production? So that's my answer to the question from the person. Thank you so much for contributing to Modern Day Debate. Yes. Thank you so very much for that response and that super chat thunderstorm. And then back-to-back Spice Infrared from Ethan for $2. Infracell is a clown for banning me. Um... You are a little bitch, if I will, to that person. But thank you so much for uh, contributing to Modern Day Debate. I support Modern Day Debate. So thank you so much for your generous donation to them. That's right. We support all of the audience out there, as well as both of our interlocutors, who we're very thankful for coming on. Another $2 super chat from Ethan. They want to know, has Are You Role Playing? No, uh, Mr. Dr. Sorry, Burgess says that communism is just LARP, and yet democratic socialism, as far as the American working class is concerned, is just as marginal and irrelevant as communism. I choose to the communist with a capital C because they're going to see you as a communist either way. You have to embrace it and actually be honest with people about what you're actually about. So I'm not just role-playing. I think communism actually has meaning. And what I what I would say, what, what do you sum it up? What is communism actually about? It's actually in the word. And people laugh at this and think it's simplistic, but it's not. It's about the common interests of human beings as opposed to profit and money. And it's almost that simple when you actually read Marx's early philosophical manuscripts. It's the real movement to sublate the present state of things to establish a human-oriented kind of society. So, And it's also about the power of the working class, the, the political the social, the cultural, the hegemonic power of the working class. That's what communism means to me. It's not a specific system or a specific end state of society. As Mark said, it's a real movement. Okay, uh, so I've been muted this whole time that we've been doing Q&A uh, since I, um, but I would just say uh, for, for the first questioner, it's not at all true that uh, fascism in, in Italian means trade union. It comes from fascist, which means bundle of stick. It's a much older uh, word than union. And of course, the fascists in Italy crushed trade unions. I liked the way that Haas took the opportunity of pretending to answer that question to just uh, do a long monologue, responding to everything I'd said in my uh, my closing statement. Uh, but um, but there is no precedent that's established by Biden invoking the Railway uh, Labor Act. Uh, it's, you said it's, the it's, act was it's existed brought since up from the past. It's existed since 1926, right? Uh, so it's and a, it's a uh, it's, uh, and it's been used before. There's no uh, there's no 
Uh, there's no new precedent there, but obviously he can yeah, there in is. both ways. If if uh, if Biden imposing this deal on establishment unions shows that Biden is hideously working class, then establishment unions do matter, and we shouldn't say fuck. No, it. they don't. They, they were ineffective in responding them, to that fascist all, uh, Let them all go into uh, into the well, fire. They're not. They're not effective, obviously. Really. Uh, I really not effective. Again, I've been extremely critical be of Biden supported. for this. As I've said in my opening statement and onwards, uh, you guys talk for like five minutes uninterrupted. Give me ninety fucking seconds. Uh, they have a, uh, and um, that's uh, well, so. Uh, so, that's, muted, uh, so that's just nonsense. I also didn't say the petty bourgeoisie was inherently reactionary. I just said that it was the hardest core of Trump's support. Please stop making things up and respond to what I actually said. You have any data, citations, anything? Well, I also, I just want to say, Dr. Ben, I apologize for that. Yeah, I had to have manually unmute because I wanted everything to go smooth. But did you get everything answered that you wanted? Yeah, that's fine. All right. With that, we are moving forward. Thank you for those super chats from Thunderstorm and Ethan Osborne. And your responses, Dr. Ben and Infrared. Another $5 super chat coming in from Thunderstorm. Don't care what genocidal Marx thinks. Class is being an upstanding person and you can't buy it. Uh, I'd like to take the opportunity to respond to that by saying that the Railway Act has been Dr. Ben <laughs> He's not even going to pretend to respond to it. It was from gonna, 1926. It was brought to back into existence in a novel way. It was brought back into existence in a novel way very clearly. So it can't. it is a precedent because it can be used in new ways very clearly. And there's no reason to think it couldn't be used against non-establishment or other forms. Uh, it's despicable to use it. Yeah, um, it's a new way of using that act. It's a new way of using that act. There's nothing to say it can be used against other forms of workers and self-organization. There's no reason to think that. There's no reason to think that it okay, can't be used if you're against other take forms the of workers' self-organization. To go back to the argument about the Railway Labor Act, uh, then we should also talk about the fact that uh, that the uh, that all of the big mega Republicans uh, voted against even softening the deal by adding a couple of goddamn sick days. Yeah, but they voted against the act entirely, and which is what I well, think. They didn't vote against the act. The act isn't isn't on the table. The, you know, the, yeah, they the did. They voted against the enforcement of that act. They didn't want to add some cookies and crumbs to that act. That whole thing needs to go. I agree with how they voted. That was Bernie's you bullshit. You, so you agree with the vote? Bernie added extra sick days. Bernie, Bernie wanted vote. to add that. Bernie, Bernie Sanders and Rashida oh, yeah, Tlaib he just did it against... to cover his tracks. He just Bernie, did it to say, look, look, I'm voting for the. I'm Bernie, Bernie Sanders. I'm going to vote for fascism against the workers, but I'm going to propose vote. a fucking bill that is impossible to fucking pass. Chancellor. And he knew it was impossible to pass alongside that one that Biden wanted to pass. So Bernie was just making a fucking excuse for why he voted for Biden's fascism. No, Don't fucking he didn't. sit here and say Bernie voted against the enforcement of the act but he also voted for the sick days so do no he wanted in addition he only and he pushed for it in congress because he said alongside this one we're also going to have another one for guaranteed sick days bernie sanders in the senate voted against the enforcement of the act the he original the iteration of the act bernie was for it because he wanted to add another stipulation not how for he the voted. Sick days. yes and all right we no, are moving not. forward yeah 
We Scott. got Spice coming towards Ben. $5 from John. Why is Ben Burris here? I thought Haz was debating President... I think that was supposed to be Sunday, but we also want to remind all of our uh, audience out there, always try and attack the arguments, not the interlocutors. However, if you would like to respond to any of that, Dr. I don't, ben, I don't know enough about the inside baseball of this to even yeah, understand uh, what that President, chat was. President Sunday, President Sunday uh, has not gotten back to me about when he, because he wanted to arrange a debate that he needed two weeks to plan for. He never got back to me about it. He, he said he would. So here I am waiting for him to get back to me. So it's that simple. Thank you for those responses and the super chat, Jonathan. And then a $5 super chat from Barry Schwitzer. Fiscal conservatives might vote for Trump, but MAGA are social conservatives, primarily white Christian nationalists. Thoughts from both? Um, I don't I don't think there it's a specific ideology. I do agree since the majority of people in America are in fact white, it's not a surprise that the majority of you know the white collar working class, 57% of them voted in 2020 for Trump, up you know 10 points from before. But you're noticing a trend. It's not about white, it's not about race. Hispanics, you're noticing a 10% point increase since 2016. When they're blue collar, they're voting for Trump. 36% of them in 2020. That's the trend is upwards, right? Even for the black blue collar, it's the same thing. The trend is upwards far more marginally from 9% to 12%, but it's still consistent with the other trends that the blue collar working class, regardless of its race, is starting to go toward MAGA. And that's a trend. Now, the majority of the non-white blue collar working class is still not fully in MAGA, clearly not MAGA, but the trend is in that direction. And that's what the data shows us. So I would not say it's a white nationalist movement or whatever that means. I, it's an American movement. America is mostly white, but America is also black. It's also Latino and it's also other things. And, you know, it's clear to me that it's a American MAGA, alternative America, non-hegemonic, non-official, unofficial America. You can't be a communist who wants to fight for the working class if you're going to be working within only the official America. You have to work within the unofficial, non-represented America that was left behind by the neoliberal elites. And then okay. the question was for both. So yours, Dr. Yeah. Ben, as well. Uh, so uh, the claim was that uh, fiscal conservatives might vote for uh, for Trump, uh, which they certainly do. The overwhelming majority of people who voted for Trump were just people who voted for Romney in 2012. Uh, the uh, the uh, in uh, 2016, at least 2020, there were more non-voters on both sides because uh, the voting rates were unprecedented on both sides. It's still the case that the majority of working class voters voted for Biden, but of course the overwhelming majority of Americans are part of the working class, so that's going to be the majority of both Trump and Biden voters. Uh, as far as uh, as far as social conservatives, it's certainly true that Biden did a lot of social conservative things that divide the working class uh, by appealing to petty bigotry. Uh, but the uh, but uh, my biggest objection to them saying it's a white Christian nationalist movement is it's not a movement at all. There's no movement there. There's no there's no alternative center of power there. There's just a fan club of one union busted billionaire politician, and the purpose of the fan club is to get people to.
vote for the uh, for for one of the two parties of official America, which is the Republican Party. Thank you so much for those responses. You literally called for people to vote for Biden. That's hilarious. And that super chat, Barry, and then a super chat, five dollars from Chris Albanese to both interlocutors. From your perspective, who are the best political leaders currently in power anywhere in the world? It's very easy, Xi Jinping. It, it takes the cake. Xi Jinping, I think, second right now. Vladimir Putin, Kim Jong Un. Um, these are. It's very easy for me. You know, Raisi in Iran, I'm a big fan. Uh, Ali Khamenei, I'm a big fan of them as well. Uh, obviously, I'm not a, I don't really have much against Assad. It's really the counter hegemonic international forces that I think are the best. And I, you know, I don't really like Trump that much. The person, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't hate him, but I'm not an unquestioning follower of Trump, the person. But I really like how Trump shook hands and met with Kim Jong un. I'll never forget that. I think that. You know, that is something no other president would have done. And I really appreciate about that, about Trump. It really cements that MAGA isn't. I mean, that's something that Bolton and Pompeo were saying. No, 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 don't do that. That was all MAGA. That was 100 percent red MAGA, what Trump did. And uh, I want to strengthen and deepen that element of MAGA. And, you know, it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, so I, I think it's uh, pretty astounding to give Trump uh, points for that uh, for uh, because one, uh, he actually brought the United States and North Korea closer to the brink of war than they'd been for decades. So what you're essentially giving him credit for is calming down from his own temper tantrum. And two, that led to uh, not only no peace deal to finally end the Korean conflict, but the United States never even had a no first use policy for uh, for nukes against uh, against North Korea. That's exactly how uh, how meaningless that is and how far you have to stretch if you want to make this impossible case that the guy who doubled the drone rate of drone strikes, the guy who uh, vetoed Bernie Sanders' resolution to end U.S. support for this genocidal Saudi war in Yemen, the guy who assassinated Soleimani and tore up the Iran deal and ended the uh, opening to Cuba was somehow some kind of anti-war pro-peace uh, president. I also find it very, very funny uh, to uh, list Vladimir Putin who oversees a gangster capitalist oligarchy, who is in fact the direct successor of the people who destroyed the Soviet Union and imposed neoliberal shock therapy on it, uh, as, you know, guys, to call yourself a communist uh, and say that this guy, I mean, Vladimir Putin, who actually in the, in the speech he gave before invading Ukraine, blamed Lenin for enabling uh, Ukrainian nationalism, uh, that, you know, calling that one of your favorite leaders, I think is pretty funny. I think as far as the United States goes, I think the person who's by far done the most to support working class politics is Bernie Sanders. As far as world leaders go, uh, I uh, my vote would be for uh, Lula da Silva, who uh, with the, uh, you know, who after being imprisoned under the uh, Bolsonaro uh, regime unjustly and very much with Trump's support, uh, is now out of prison, is trying to end the war in Ukraine, uh, is actually uh, a thorn in the side of U.S. interests in many ways, but uh, is actually somebody who represents a working class movement and not just some nationalist leader who crushes the working class in his own country while, uh, sure, having an inter-imperialist rivalry with the United States, which describes practically everybody who we just heard listed. <laughs> Inter-imperialism. This guy knows his Lenin. 
very clearly. The KPR of the Communist Party. Uh, 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 of the sorry, Federation. are we doing a big back and forth now? Communist we, Party of the or, Russian or, Federation or these, supports Putin okay, and the special already, military operation. You already responded. To I'm questions. an actual Maybe communist. You are a Democrat, sir. <laughs> okay, that's Stop nice. citing Lenin, Democrat. I, sorry, I'm very confused about what the format is supposed and to be right a now. And a $2 cry, super chat about it. from Sunflower. I think both sides made good points tonight. Thanks. Thank you so very much, Sunflower, for the support. And you got uh, each a fan out there. And then a $5 super chat from Thunderstorm. Thank you so very much for the support and love, Thunder. Marx and Engels' ideology murdered an estimated 80 million white people in the Soviet Union on purpose. That is simply a lie. Uh, if you're willing to believe everything that these state-sanctioned, globalist-sanctioned history books tell you about the Soviet Union, you know, you got to really question, are you really getting the real history? Or are you getting what they told you to think? Uh, it's simply not true. Stalin is an enemy of the globalists to this day. His image, his likeness is an enemy. Even Lenin is, and Putin is has the right to be critical of Lenin because he's the successor of the... Russian state and Stalin and Lenin differed on their nationality policies ever so slightly, but importantly. And I kind of agree with Stalin's orientation more than Lenin. I don't think it's necessarily unfair to say that Lenin's policy on nationalities was inherited from Western social democracy, not really applicable to the Russian circumstances. But regardless, you know, we're talking about Stalin as a person who stood up to the globalists, he stood up to the international ruling elites. And he, from scratch, built up his own country, industrialized it, turned it into a superpower, and enriched his own people like never before in history, gave them literacy, gave them culture, gave them pride, and beat the Nazis. I think it's very clear that Stalin was a hero. So I'd like to, I'd like to speak to this question. Uh, of course, um, Putin is the successor, not of Lenin or even Stalin, but literally was the handpicked successor of Boris Yeltsin. Uh, the guy who uh, who did more than anybody else to uh, to destroy the Soviet Union and frankly economically raped the corpse. Uh, so, uh, you know, positioning him as a successor to uh, you know Soviet communism is pretty funny. Uh, now, I do agree that it's absurd to say Soviet uh, state that, that Marx's ideology uh, was uh, was responsible uh, for. Um, the crimes of uh, of Stalinism, because if you actually look at everything that Marx said about socialism consistently, you know, he's Marx speaks out repeatedly against uh, against censorship. A lot of his early writings in the 1840s are, uh, are are about that, which is not surprising because he was the uh, he was the editor of uh, of a newspaper that was uh, that was routinely censored. Uh, we heard a claim, by the way, earlier that uh, the existence of democracy is incompatible with communism, which is certainly not Marx's view. In fact, Marx says repeatedly in the 1870s uh, that in the most advanced democracies, uh, that which was the, the Soviet uh, Union, it was democratic could come about uh, as a result of uh, working class parties uh, taking power. Uh, elect electorally, uh, you might not like that, I'm on neoliberalism, uh, but, that's, but that's what he says. And whenever he talks about what he means by socialism, again, no strict definitions. Marx doesn't argue like that, uh, but he tends to talk about the society of associated producers. In other words, workers control of the means of production, which is no. He said communism was the pretty, real movement. pretty difficult, pretty different from uh, what they had in the Soviet Union. 
And the Soviet Union was the real okay. a real movement of are, are we doing a back and forth here? I thought we were just giving both No, you're just kind of a pseudo-intellectual who's like, oh, it's um, not... Okay, Send in love to both of our interlocutors and Thunderstorm. We now have a $2 super chat. Oh, we got Spice for you, Infrared. Has got his cheeks clapped. Well, we can take a poll and we can see what people think. But I think uh, Dr. Ben is no longer a doctor. I've taken his PhD and I've got two PhDs now, one from Astar Bear, one from Ben. Uh, I've got two PhDs on my back and I'm pretty confident in that. And uh, he's doing the whole, oh, it's not real communism thing. Nobody buys that. It was real communism. Real communism was actually existing, real movement of communism in the 20th century. It's very clear. Everyone can see that. Uh, good luck with your Democratic Socialist LARP, which just means voting for Biden and the Democrats every four years. And thank you, Soap, for your super chat, infrared for your response. A $10 super chat from Johnny. Ben, why do you think farmers are... Burguis, I can't even say. Farmers own their own farm, and they hire workers. So according to your warp definition, they are the Burguis. Do you not see how insane this is? Okay, so uh, I would say that if you're talking about agricultural labor versus uh, urban, I don't, I don't think that's a difference in principle. I think that uh, most farms in the United States are actually, uh, you know, most farmland in the United States that's been farmed, uh, as is my understanding, is being done directly or indirectly by corporate agribusinesses at this point. Uh, so certainly people who own those uh, are part of the, the bourgeoisie. If you're talking about you know, smaller you. farms. Bourgeoisie. Thank you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, no. If you're talking about uh, if you're talking about smaller farms, uh, that's still the uh, that's still the case that uh, they're you know, that you have, you know, like a relatively small agricultural business that, you know, that still has a bunch of employees. Then yeah, I mean, if you're uh, if you're somebody, you know, you are still you know a petty capitalist at least. I don't think there's anything absurd about that. That's not a moral condemnation, right? That's not like you know you're a bad person. Uh, but if we're interested in overall class analysis, trying to figure out what the interests are of uh, of different social classes, so we can try to think about how to get better political outcomes, uh, so we can think about how to try to go beyond either. As you said, voting for Democrats, which, you know, uh, is not great or voting for Republicans, which is worse because, you know, you're talking about people. And why did you tell people to vote for Biden? Who are, what's that? Uh, why did I vote for Biden? Why I say people should uh, should vote? Uh, for, yeah, so. Uh, I told because, people not to vote. I told because because if you're faced with a choice between two enemies, you should cast a defensive vote. I've never voted in my life. Do less damage, and they have a and uh, I don't know why you'd ask a question if you didn't want to hear the answers. So then they have a and as far as ways in which Biden would do less damage, we've talked about that extensively. That they have a that uh, that while of course Biden, you know, Biden is a representative of one wing of capital, uh, and you know, again, I was the first one in this debate to bring up uh, his invocation of the Railway uh, Labor Act. Uh, and I've certainly written extensively World about War that. III, overall, right. though, overall, Biden uh, was, uh, you know, Biden uh, did not move as aggressively to crush the working class as Trump did. So I think if you're, and I think there's, there, there are institutional, there, no, I mean, that's just true. I'm Biden sorry. involved the government. Biden, there, there Biden institutional used the reasons government. for that because the Fascist. strategy is the two parties that you would expect. Uh, that overall, under most circumstances, <laughs> so, uh, you're so going Trump, to get, Trump, get more Trump, aggressive union Trump busting from Republicans and Democrats. 
But of course, yeah. all of this was you interrupted me responding while I was trying to answer the original question. To yeah. go back to the original question, the point about class analysis is that if you want to go beyond having to either vote for the lesser evil or the greater evil, but actually build something better, and you want to think about what kind of movement could build something better, then this kind of class analysis is going to be but you don't understand very, what very, class very, is, very so relevant that the people who are going to be the backbone of building something better, not through some supposedly counter-hegemonic branded exercise, but through actually building up institutional power, for example, with unions, you, you mean are going to be not agricultural capitalists, but agricultural laborers. What and unions? That's my answer to the question. Show me the unions. Which ones? Show, what do you even say? The, Dem the Democrat-run unions? They have a uh, so so unions tend to uh, you know like unions, including independent unions like Amazon Labor Union, which you said earlier. You yeah, that's like the one. That's the one exception. A, uh, that's but like including both independent unions like that and ones that are affiliated. Well, with what other ones unions, besides the both of those? What other? Tend what to, other independent uh, tend ones? To, tend to tend to. There's no other. It's choice. just Democrat you run have to unions. vote for Democrats or, or Republicans in election. They'll tend to go for Democrats because they know that the Republicans are going to more aggressively. Even you don't believe that the that's Democrats are in bed with the bureaucratic unions. It's corruption. And saying, oh, well, they support Democrats. They're a corporation. I don't care if Trump busts all of them and destroys every single union in the United States as long as it's an establishment union. I'm sorry, you're just outing yourself. Trump, the working class, yeah, yeah. which makes sense. So Trump, Trump because is busting you're, uh, because unions. you're trying Trump is to busting unions by dismantling the government. And Biden is busting there. the unions by using government as a cudgel against the workers, whereas Trump is just dismantling government bureaucracy, which I'm all for. I want to dismantle the government, not use it against workers, which is what Biden did. Trump did not do that. Uh, Trump did use government against Ow. workers. That's all that point about the NLRB is about all the ways that Trump used uh, government name, against name workers. Of course, you mentioned capital earlier. And then it, capital is all about. Did Trump make it illegal for workers oh to God. unionize? And when you answer, it has to be Ben's final because it was his question. All okay. right. Uh, so neither Trump nor Biden made it flatly illegal for workers to unionize. What Biden did was not set any precedent but use this hideously reactionary, awful, anti-working class Railway Labor Act in precisely the way that's been used before, setting no setting precedent, precedent, doing nothing, no, nothing novel. Meanwhile, uh, people like Bernie Sanders in the Senate and Rashida Tlaib in the House did the right thing and voted <laughs> against his use of the Railway Labor Act. Uh, they, uh, they voted against imposing the deal on workers, but then in a separate vote, they voted in favor of adding the sick days, uh, whereas, uh, whereas some Republicans voted against the first thing. Uh, you know, because it had very few political costs for them. They knew it wouldn't go through. Uh, they could get some points from doing that, but then they voted against even adding the sick days, which is pretty pathetic. And I think tells you everything about who these people are. Again, if you want to know which of these is the greater evil, which of these is going to more aggressively move to crush the working class, pretty clearly the Republicans, but that doesn't mean that the Democrats aren't a party of capital. It just means they're, the somewhat softer party of capital long term, we need to get past both of them. And I think ridiculous branded exercises like mega communism that fly the flag of the greater evil. Uh, there's no way, shape or form that that can contribute to that. Yeah, project. the DSA isn't a brand. And totally not a brand. I, on that, we are moving. Thank you so very much, Johnny, uh, for your super chat and your responses, guys. And then a $5 super chat from MIG. For infrared, congratulations on earning your second doctorate. 
Sounds like oh, thank you. Yeah, the, the pleasure is all mine. Uh, I'm glad for uh, earning that second. I'm not sure what to do with these PhDs because they're so useless because so many stupid people hold them despite having no knowledge of anything. But I guess it's a nice title that will impress uh, losers at cocktail parties. I guess that's what I get, maybe, Thanks. if even. Yeah. So, but anyway, you know, what I really think about this PhD, which is really interesting, is that, you know, it, it obviously it is a precedent when Congress and Rashida Tlaib and the squad and all these people. OK, well, you did the same thing. I want to answer. Uh, so no, it is true. No, 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 no. Mr. Bit, you're not a doctor anymore. A, but Mr. Burgess, right now, I want to answer my question. I want to talk about PhD. My PhD which is not is really all the format me. we agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I gave you. You were given time to talk about respond to me. You were asked about. You were asked about farmers, and you took it as an opportunity to respond. So I'm going to actually respond. It's okay. You can keep talking. That's not the format. But actually, talk about the real If I could just ask you, just whatever your point is, finish up next thirty seconds. Yeah. So I, I was trying to say is that, you know, it's clear that uh, Bernie Sanders and the squad did vote for the initial um, Railway Act in Congress that later went into the Senate to be enforced, except Bernie Sanders had some jibber jabber about, oh, I'm also going to attach something for the six days. He knew it wasn't possible and he still pushed for it to be passed in Congress anyway. It was a complete sham and a fraud. And uh, saying that these squad and these Democrat progressives opposed it is a complete lie. And that's using government against workers as opposed to dismantling existing regulations. One is substantially worse. One is fascistic. The other you could accuse of being regulatorily irresponsible. But it's not fascism where you're using the cudgel of the law to actually use the precedent of using this kind of act. To make well, it illegal in the name seconds. of national Most security. Of the squad voted for it. Rashida Tlaib voted against it. Bernie Sanders voted against it. And okay. on that, thank Bernie you. Sanders is a senator. He pushed for it to be passed in the Congress. We all have him on record for that. Thank you both interlocutors and MIG for that super chat. And then $10 super chat coming in from Chris Morlock. Thank you so much, Chris. For Ben, if MAGA is a branding exercise of Trump, then why is DeSantis making a major play to co-opt this? It's a multi-tier political movement, not fully under the control of Trump or Republicans. Yeah. Uh, so uh, DeSantis, who, by the way, I hope we could agree is this establishment and establishment Republican as there is, all the Romney people love him, etc. You're right. He is making a, a play to uh, co-opt this branded exercise, it's rhetoric. Anybody can use rhetoric. Anybody can try to co-opt that. But also, it's been extremely unsuccessful because uh, because it's uh, it's nothing. It, there's no definition of MAGA apart from Trump. And so what do you hear from the MAGA faithful over and over and over again as Ron DeSantis starts to make this play? No, I'm sorry, this is a no-go. There is no MAGA without Trump. That's a phrase you hear over and over and again. And so I'm going there, to. There is. Well, you're uh, about to give you a chance to respond in a second, Infrared. Uh, just sending a lovely reminder out there that we are about to hit the 30 mark. We're going to be doing some overtime for questions, but if you have. This is the last chance to get your burning desire question is because we value our interlocutors time and we re respect them and want them to get out in orderly uh, manner. But sending in a $2 super chat, lots of love from... Oh, 
Oh, no, hold on. A $5 super chat from Emily. Congrats on your double doctorate, Dr. Has. Uh, thank you again. The pleasure is all mine. You know, it's really that there's no MAGA without Trump. Well, Trump himself is a brand. Trump, the political actor, he's just a chaotic TV personality guy. Yeah, he's probably going to be immortalized in the MAGA movement's future as a meme. He's a meme in our community, too. But to say there's no future of MAGA without Trump is not true. I don't actually think it's MAGA is not the end point. It's just the beginning. MAGA is a vehicle to realize something greater, which is a counter hegemonic American form of politics, something that has been impossible for decades, at least since Reagan, right, or since Jimmy Carter. There's always been the official co-opted official version of America and Trump added chaos to the mix. I'm a Maoist. Mao said when chaos under heaven situation is excellent. I completely agree with that. So I, I'm honored to be um, have my second PhD. I'm going to put it right, right there under my Mao uh, pendulum. And it'll just sit tight, cozily in the corner. And I'll bring it out whenever I have to impress uh, pseudo-intellectuals and midwits who need this form of institutional validation in order to actually hear me out so thank, yeah thank you thank you so very much emily for your super chat <clears throat> and infrared for that response and then coffee mom for two dollars psa if you don't vote has fans choose for you yeah yeah i mean that's a beautiful that's just a, good the I thing is my my fans towards, are towards me that has also has just gave a monologue in response to something that wasn't even a question yeah but that was uh, so toward I'm me. Gonna, that was I'm a question directed right toward me so because uh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. so uh, to answer that question if we're not gonna if my we're not fans gonna actually consistently refuse to even pretend to be doing q a you're just giving speeches so if that's what we're going to do then yeah i think that is this is how people who we're gonna this if you don't mind, we'll, we'll suss this out because I want both of you. It was technically for infrared, but then we're going to go to Dr. Ben, and then you can have the very last just final Sorry, sentence. Mr. Ben. <laughs> we are going to hand it over to you, infrared, then you, Dr. Ben. But infrared, if you would like, because it was for you, but I feel like yeah, it's prevalent exactly. for both. And so I want yeah, to yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. Um, you know, my fans are giga chads. We don't actually vote as individuals. If we are part of some independent working class party and we want to strategically vote for someone, we'll do it. We don't have that party right now. We're trying to do that with the CPUSA and I'm launching my own organization sometime this month, actually. And maybe we will vote. Maybe we won't as an organization, but voting as an individual is super cucked. I mean, how are you going to vote and pretend you're part of a democracy and you're responsible for the system? You're not. You're not responsible for the system we have. The so-called democracy we have is a complete sham. No point in voting as an individual. You should vote as part of an organization. Because if you don't, if you just vote as an individual, you're basically saying, yeah, I believe in American democracy is a real thing. No, it's not. It's completely fake. Uh, anyone who talks about voting for harm reduction or anything is a fraud. Oh, how humanitarian of you. It's a complete idealistic, anti-Marxist, anti-materialistic, anti-common sense kind of argument. Our votes don't matter. That's what I believe at the end of the day. As individuals, they don't matter. They might matter when we organize ourselves into collective groups and political parties that can articulate an independent interest of the people, a counter-hegemonic one. But at the end of the day, we we don't we can't exercise our real will by voting if we're going to be trying to take on the ruling class. That's what I believe. And thank you, Infrared. And then Dr. Ben, over to you. 
yeah i think that uh i think that you should uh you should vote uh in order to um uh, to minimize the harm to the strategic interests of the working class. Uh, I am thrilled to hear that Haas is discouraging uh, people who are persuaded by any of his nonsense uh, from, uh, from voting. Please listen to him. Uh, please do not vote for uh, the, uh, the union-busted billionaire that he wants to reduce to a chaotic meme. And all right, we're going to move forward. $5 Super Chat. Also, thank you so very much, Coffee Mom, for the support. $5 from Yellowstone Kami. Has with the EZW. Got another fan out there. Uh, I think it's self-evident to anyone with a brain. Appreciate your comment. You know, it's just sad that Mr. Burgess didn't do his homework about basic Marxism. Maybe he would have done better. But it's quite sad, you know. But thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so very much, Yellowstone, for the support and that response. And then $5 from Brenton Lengel has, please define fascism. Was that for me or I didn't quite catch that? Is I that for me? I think so, yes. Yeah, fascism is the terroristic dictatorship of the imperialist state machine and finance capital. Fascism isn't when people with blue hair get offended and their feelings get hurt. Fascism is not when you're opposing the so-called progressive cultural agenda of the Rockefeller Open Society Foundation and the various billionaire philanthrop NGO philanthropies and academic institutions and their latest cultural trends, which have no bearing among the organic changes in culture among the people. That is not reactionary. That's not fascist. Fascism is actually something like what you have in Ukraine, where the Azovite terrorists are murdering philosophers and murdering journalists just because they have dissenting views and, you know, ban Banning all political opposition and trying to ethnically cleanse Russians in the name of a pure Europe, Western European enlightened identity. That's real fascism. When you have the rule of these lumpen terrorist thug Azovites with this veneer of a bourgeois constitutional order, which is in fact in a permanent state of emergency, that's fascism, right? Fascism is not anything like the MAGA movement or Trump, which is just a plain old populist movement. It's an ambiguous form of populism, which unlike the coward uh, Bernie Sanders actually had the ability to stand up to the status quo and declare a complete secession from the deep state and the establishment. Meanwhile, Bernie Sanders is um, fully and fully there with his friend Joe Biden. Thank you so very much, Brenton, as well as that response infrared. And then a $5 Super chat from Emily again. Bernie is Biden's child catcher. Very true. Very poignant observation. He's trying to round up all these children to vote for Biden and they get nothing in return. What about the student debt cancellation, which never happened, right? Thank you, Bernie. Thank you. The most progressive administration in the history of America since FDR. Joseph R. Biden, who may be a clone, by the way, we don't even know. But Biden's funding terrorists in Ukraine. He wants to bring us to World War Three. He's a fat. He's engaging in fascist policies against the working class like Trump never did before. Right. Biden is uh, 
trying to censor the freedom of speech of Americans on social media, collaborating with big tech, the state corporate merger that you do find in fascism. Biden's a disaster. The inflation's a disaster. His whole administration's a disaster. Thank you, Bernie Sanders and the DSA and all the progressive leftists who wasted people's time telling people to vote for him. By the way, I never tell people to vote for Trump. I don't do that. I want to well, use MAGA, the MAGA movement. I want to go to them and build a new party. That's my goal. I just think MAGA's the most willing to listen, hear hear you out when it comes to wanting to build a new party. If there's a new party that comes in America, it's going to come from MAGA. Establishment Republicans don't want a new party. They want nothing to do with MAGA. All of the rhinos are against the MAGA people. It's a complete civil war in the GOP. All the new political stuff is going to come from MAGA. All Everyone else is going to be left behind to eat shit and good riddance. Fuck the Democratic Socialists, Bernie Sanders, the Progressives. The God, this is such a long and winded monologue that just doesn't even pretend to have anything to do with the question. It's amazing. No, oh, it, it does indeed. I think I answered that question. Okay, yeah, you, you, one, you went off on about 10 different One's in the chat if I answered the question, because, actually. Uh, I, just, I just rambled on and on and on and on. I thought we were doing Q&A. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. This is certainly not the uh, the format we talked well, about. Well, is there another well. actual question so we can maybe yes. answer a question? So a five dollar super chat from Andrew Saturn. So he's a pedophile. Andrew Saturn is a pedophile who's monitoring uh, human trafficking websites of trafficked Russian women, which he's posting. He's actually a like underage minors suspected of being trafficked Russian women, who he's frequenting his websites we have proof of this so this is the person you're getting a question from it's interesting but yeah oh, andrew saturn he is couldn't even pretty much confirmed for the confirmed pedophile andrew saturn. Like, he's a confirmed he pedophile. has a lot of trouble with format this guy Sophist, yeah but andrew saturn is a confirmed pedophile i want that to be on wikipedia expert adam Taher, aka has has swords on his wall like a weeb we still always appreciate tacking the yeah he's a uh, pedophile though He's still calling my name one take him seriously. So he's he's doing a fail docs where he calls me Adam Tier. Andrew Saturn actually targeted an innocent random family just because some 30-year-old guy was named Adam Tier, some random guy in, in Michigan, and he targeted them and attacked them and posted all of it and you know. Sorry, you got the wrong guy, but someone has to reach out to that family and warn them about this fat, disgusting, slovenly pedophile in New Jersey who is uh, targeting random people we... just because they're suspected of being uh, me, right? It's fucking stupid, right? But anyway, yeah. Thank you so very much, Andrew, for the super chat and your response infrared. And then we are moving forward. A $5 super chat from Samir. Dr. Ben, Please pull up the data for the percentage of government subsidy farms by state. It's scary. Over 77% in some mostly red states, too. Um, okay. Sure, that sounds right. Uh, that there's a lot of government subsidies for agribusiness. I'm not sure if there's a question there. But yes, that sounds plausible. Thank you so very much, Samir, and your response, Dr. Ben. And then John R., $8 Super Chat, to both speakers, what revolutionary potential lies in service workers in particular? Make sure. To both speakers, what revolutionary potential lies, I imagine, are in service of workers in particular? Service workers, is that it? 
Yes, very specific. Oh, I, I, I'll very quickly answer this because I've, I've answered it before. I don't actually discount service. Majority of workers are probably service workers. I think the revolutionary potential comes when they're not attached to their workplace and they're not loyal to their workplace. So when service workers stand up and say, this is a bullshit, pointless fucking job that should be automated and I shouldn't have to work this stupid job. We should just reduce the labor hours and have real jobs, right? So they can, more people can have them. Then that's where they're revolutionary. When, when they want to be emancipated from their dumb, demeaning slave-like service-like jobs that's the revolutionary potential but when they're like starbucks baristas who say we want to be like the twitter employees who have all these amenities and all these privileges and we want to basically be be happy working at starbucks and starbucks is a beautiful job we just want to make it better with more rights and stuff that's when they're counter-revolutionary because they're trying to do trade union craft unionism which is a reactionary force among the working class basically trying to escape the generality of the predicament of labor create these new institutions where they can be coddled and be separated from the working class and they're and also loyal to the democrats which is what in practice happens especially with the starbucks labor union so it's 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 a uh, different potentials when they hate their jobs and they're fighting against the very existence of their own jobs in favor of maybe ubi or reducing the work week or something like that even on their Bitcoin grind set, whatever that shit is, Wall Street bets, whatever, trying to find alternative ways of living and emancipate from the bullshit jobs, that's when they're revolutionary. But when they love their jobs and just want to unionize them and be coddled within those jobs and institutionalize those jobs as an arm of the fascistic uh, Democratic Party, that's when they're reactionary. So there's two elements and tendencies among service workers. I think the one I pointed out first is the majority. Majority of service workers hate their jobs, want to be emancipated from it. A minority of the most privileged ones, the Starbucks ones, not you don't see the Dunkin' Donuts workers doing the Starbucks shit, right? Starbucks ones want to unionize because they want to institutionalize their job. Most service workers hate their fucking job. They don't want to institutionalize it or be attached to it. So that's my answer. Uh, okay, well, that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, just to... Uh, so... Um, uh, Haas acknowledges that the uh, majority of the American working class is in service work, uh, and it sounds like he's opposed to any effort by the majority of the working class uh, to uh, get uh, more control over the wages and conditions in which they work, uh, because, uh, because anything in service work that's doing that is just, what, reinforcing the existence of, of service work. Obviously, as far as automation goes, whether we're talking about industrial production, whether we're talking about slinging coffee at Starbucks, whether we're talking about anything else, automation under conditions of collective ownership and control by the workers is great because it just means that there's uh, less hours that everybody has to work. Uh, that's equally true in both of those sectors. Uh, of course, uh, automation under capitalism often plays out in a much more destructive way. Uh, the idea that what there's something that's like different about Starbucks than Dunkin' Donuts because of the clientele is pretty ludicrous. Uh, I, in fact, uh, I think that uh, they get paid way more on average. They have a that uh, that um, Dunkin' Donuts workers, I hope, will surprise uh, Haas, and if they did. I would certainly support their unionization efforts. It sounds like he would not, which is maybe not surprising. Nah, because not this whole thing tonight has been uh, has been trying to uh, argue that the fan club of a union busted billionaire is somehow counter hegemonic because, like, they don't like the liberal media. 
And to add to add on. Oh to the my question. God, Haas. Yeah, to add on to the Amy, question. Are we well, going to do this? I do or not? Like, do you, you I gotta, do want to say. Yeah, so most people don't want to be tied down to their jobs. Or are we going to just take turns? You're not going to get answering the question. Which, by the way, has already gone. Getting like angry, getting an, Mr. Ben, you're getting angry, Mr. Ben. Because this is this is getting, getting angry, this Mr. Is ben. getting insufferable. It would be nice if we could cry. We are you way loose. over oh into God. overtime Jesus than was Christ, already man. agreed upon. Such a fucking you sound a little idiot. bit angry, just Mr. Like, ben. I just be quiet for two seconds and let's stick to the format that we agreed to. You sound a little angry, Mr. Ben. So yeah, well. I think extended conversation with idiots does that. I'm going but you have yet to where prove are we being... in the format. Here. Yeah, but you're the yes. idiot. Here. Oh my God, Haas! Shut up! Are, are you gonna off. cry? You're yelling oh. now, dude. You sound no, angry. No, I'm telling you to shut up, Mr. Ben. Because right Mr. now ben. you are breaking Calm down, the Mr. agreement ben. that we had about the format, Calm down, Mr. and you were just going on and on. Here's and that soy Starbucks rage. And I'm asking the moderator to please moderate. Mr. Ben, calm down. Oh my God! I am trying. We're at the end of it. Not that serious. Stop. We're at Stop. the end of it. Okay, I'm Mr. holding ben. you guys apart. Stop. Please, Prime. both Stop. of you, please. Mr. Ben, Stop. Stop. No, I'm sorry. I'm the not going to let him over this. Okay. The rage of an imbecile. Okay. Okay. I muted both of you. I muted both of you. I love you both. We are about to be... Oh. Muted myself, too. I muted you both. We are about to... Uh, I'm going to unmute you. I asked you both to unmute. Just try. We are... Really, really over on overtime. I'm trying to look for just anything that is an actual question, but I'm going to start, I think, just skipping over the the fanfare and the ad homs, though I love all of the support and energy that the entire audience has been given and sends in love. Uh, ta -ta. Give me... Uh, uh, yeah, we're going to be, be moving fast because I'm skipping. How many times will I vote? Mm, how many times will I vote? Okay, how about Franklin? Ben, what's worse? Among Us co-ops being surprised by Trump or nuclear war? Nuclear war is worse. And as far as how we got to this point... Uh, Trump uh, actually did a lot to escalate U.S.-Russia tensions. Uh, he sent heavy weaponry to Ukraine, uh, which Republicans have criticized Obama for not doing. He's trying to have it both ways and move towards uh, pretending to be pro-peace now that he's out of power. It's a convenient way of getting votes. But as far as what actually took us to this point, a lot of that does have to do with Donald Trump's policies as president. You... Has have you spent significant time in any of these anti-homogeny countries? If not, why? From Brenton, five dollar super chat. Oz is muted. But uh, you, you have to. You have to actually. You, I can only give you the permission to unmute yourself. Oh, okay. Sorry, I just saw that. So the question was. Sorry, can you repeat that? Sorry. Absolutely. The question is, has have you spent significant time in any of these anti-homogeny countries? If not, why not? Um, I have rarely left the U.S., mostly because uh, I think I traveled to the Bahamas once when I was a child in my adult life. I just can't afford it. Uh, I plan on 
I mean, I don't know if I can go to Russia. I plan on going within the next two years. Same with China. But, you know, I, I've I've had a childhood vacation outside the U.S. like once. I think. I don't even know if, I, if it was outside the U.S. I don't even know if it was the Bahamas. I, don't, I just don't remember. But I've just never really been outside the U.S. I'm actually an American. I'm a, I care about America, right? But I also care about being counter-hegemonic and fighting the globalist deep state reigning over us. And I could recognize that the states, the these other countries are fighting the hegemony. So I support them, right? They're fighting the enemy of the American people the way I see it. And, you know, the, it's the people who were, you know, in Trump's administration, selling arms to Ukraine, sending more arms to Ukraine, even though Trump wasn't responsible for that himself because trump is just a tv personality he's not really a serious political leader in any capacity he's just a tv personality who spoke enough truth for working class people to start rallying behind him you know uh, it, it's just things like that you know um i support counter hegemonic forces i don't support you know privileged starbucks baristas relative to other service workers trying to create new bulwarks and fortresses of the hegemony in the form of these unions uh talking about harm reduction and improvement of conditions it's not going to happen mcdonald's workers don't give a shit about their job enough to want to unionize they want to emancipate themselves from that job and uh, mr ben wants to tie them down and enslave them to these humiliating anti-human nine to five wastes of human time because it's better it's easier to control them and you know control their consciousness and indoctrinate them into becoming democrats and agreeing with everything pfizer and the media says so yeah thank you so much for that super chat and your response and then once again doing a little bit of looking for not ad homs and looking for good questions uh from ten dollars from bizart the does has considered himself an arab muslim who supports trump trump did a muslim ban move the u.s embassy to jerusalem bombed syria and killed somalia um again Salamani. it was it was the people in trump's uh, administration who trump who are now against trump openly that bombed syria trump was the only person to speak out and tell the truth about how assad and russia were fighting isis during his electoral campaign but you know um as far as the muslim ban it's a nothing burger that was really a whole lot of nothing i mean like i don't really give a shit that's the truth yeah, uh, do I think MAGA people are more racist against Muslims and Arabs? No, I just don't think they've met a whole lot many, and they just know about they knew about ISIS. I'm against ISIS too. The Obama administration funded Al Qaeda in Syria and in Libya, so they didn't know a whole lot about Muslims. And you know, I, I trust these MAGA people who are just more plain spoken than the so-called liberal anti-racists, who are probably the most racist people of all. As far as my experience is concerned, MAGA people treat me like a human being at the end of the day. Liberals, you know, look at me. I'm an Arab Muslim man and they look for every opportunity to, you know, exploit that fact of my racial background to use it against me. And leftists are the same way, actually, you know. So 
you know, as far as who's the real racist, it's the KKK clan Democrats all the way, you know. My experience with MAGA people has been very positive. And I think they're more open-minded to Islam than liberals are. That's just my experience. And I think we're coming down to the last few Super Chats. I really do want to thank both of our interlocutors for going overtime, for doing it for the audience. Another Super Chat from Brenton Langle, $5. Thank you so much. Just want to acknowledge, has attacked Ben on voting for Biden and then argues for voting strategically. And no, I don't argue answer. for voting at all as an individual. I argue for organizations to potentially vote if it's strategically beneficial to them, just like Lenin did. That's not an that's not someone who believes in democracy. That's like strategy. And it's not based on harm reduction, by the way, but what's going to bring the organization to power is what matters. So the DSA, for example, say vote for Democrats for harm reduction, not vote for Democrats because we need to seize power for the working class so it has nothing to do with voting individualistically or making moral arguments for voting i don't believe in voting as an individual but organizations can make decisions to vote um especially where it matters this is part of marxism leninism but the most important thing is voting for your own people like your own independent party that's where it usually what we're talking about here like yes Tell your party to vote for your own party's candidates. The Communist Party candidate is running for local office. Who's your local? Yeah, you got to tell your people to vote, of course. Um, as for voting for one of the two major parties, I can't really see a scenario in the U.S. where that would be appropriate, even for an independent organization or party. But there's no eternal rule. Uh, there's, no, you know, the point is against individual voting. That's my point. Thank you so very much, Brenton, and your response, Infrared. And then our last two of the night. From Braun, $5. Ask Ben if he believes in the labor aristocracy. Has knows what to do next. Um, no, I don't think that's a useful theoretical construct. Uh but uh, I'm also very curious if these McDonald's workers that Haas doesn't want to allow to unionize, plenty of McDonald's workers have been fired for trying to unionize. It sounds like he would be on the side of the bosses who fired them because he thinks those unions would, uh, would tie them to the jobs somehow, even though the actual effect of unions is to give people more time off for those jobs. Um, I'd be fascinated no, to know I'm if he not, thinks I don't that McDonald's workers who try to organize unions are part of the so-called labor aristocracy. Yeah, I'm not going to stop McDonald's workers from unionize, unionizing. I'm just not going to waste any time as a communist pretending that's a the labor movement of the working class and, and he, using all my resources to go and do it. Like the CPUSA uses all the resources to go and or, try and organize baristas. I would not do that for any segment of the service industry at all. It's a waste of time. I'm not going to sit here and help McDonald's uh, stop. the. I don't care what the outcome is. It has nothing to do with me. It's that simple. Thank you so very much. This is going to be our last Super Chat question. I do want to send a super thanks to everyone who has sent in Super Chats. 
there were a bunch more uh, support for both of you guys, so uh, you, I think it was a lively debate, and the audience loved it, and way wet, this is basically the double Q&A time, and so I really do want to thank you guys for basically sticking around. But the last question of the night from Mark Reed, a $5 super chat, has, can you explain what C, S, and V is in the labor theory of value and explain the relationship between them? So if you're referring to the generation of surplus value and constant capital and variable capital, variable capital also has to have the quality of being able to produce the surplus value, which initiates the process of capital accumulation. Now, in the beginning stages of capital, Marx doesn't really explain the kind of material basis of why this is. He just explains that it's something that happens. But he very clearly understands later in capital, and especially through in the Grundrisse and so on and so forth, that why this happens is because value and capital is nothing more than the crystallization and estrangement of real labor, the process by which mankind, on a social level, transforms the natural world. How surplus value actually comes to be produced, it's not just, it's not simply the difference between constant and variable capital. Go do your homework again and uh, read, read about it. Because the production of surplus value and this is especially clear in the whole disputes about the uh, transformation problem, is much more subtle and um, complex than that. Because you're dealing with the transformation of something at a local level to a social level and an aggregate level, right? That's where the surplus is actually being produced. So go ahead, go ahead and do your homework again, because you clearly uh, are not well up to speed on it. And all right, with that, it's going to come to our conclusion on tonight's debate of Trump, Trump communism on trial. I do want to thank everyone out there for joining us on Modern Day Debate. We are a neutral, nonpartisan platform welcoming everyone from all walks of life. If you're looking for even more fantastic debates, we are now all over the internet, including your favorite podcasting platform like TikTok, Spotify, YouTube. Hi, YouTube. So if you enjoy the show, please don't forget to like follow or subscribe it helps the algorithm send us out to even more people and get a wider audience including tonight's debate on trump communism on trial with our debaters dr ben and infrared who were here to help us find that answer and gave us Two scoops of Q&A. I so much thank you. Plus, if you like what any of our guests have said tonight, all of their links are in the description below. You can find them right down there. Finally, if you're looking for even more fun after the show, feel free to check out our MDD Discord, which often throws after parties around the topic. And with that, I am Amy Newman with Modern Day Debate. We hope you continue having great conversations, discussions, and debates. Good night!
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.